This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Ah, deep breath. You know why? President Obama was in the house. Well, a different house. Yeah. He and boy, did he put a hug on Hillary Rodham Clinton. Yeah, he did. They even did like the fake point thing at each other. Yeah. They, hey, I you. see you. I see you, you little kiddo. And then, and then they stood together and pointed at random people in the audience. <laughs> the funny thing is... A lot not, of pointing going on. Yeah, yeah a lot, a lot of, of pointing. I thought pointing was not right. Yeah. The The crazy thing is, day three, done. Complete in the DNC convention, and uh, wow. The theme? Yeah. Was working together. Oh, yeah. You felt that. There was a coordinated effort to attack Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. Sure. Across the board. <laughs> uh, the vice presidential nominee, Mr. Kane, took his uh, – he, he accepted the nomination. He did. Completely different kind of guy than really a lot of the other speakers. Yes. Very average in a way, boring, highly trustworthy. It's yeah. funny. The boring person on the stage was the most trustworthy. He was. And the most exciting people, not as, not as trustworthy. Too polished. Why, which is why it was probably the perfect pick. There you go. What a show it was last night. We'll get into that, plus uh, Donald Trump and Putin fest. Mm. There's a lot going on there. And it, today couldn't be a better day. Our guest today um, wrote a book called The President's Book of Secrets, and he's going to be talking about presidential briefings, because with Donald Trump suggesting that Putin should go find Hillary Clinton's uh, 32,000 emails that are missing, that now everybody's screaming, okay, he can't. He's not safe with secrets. He was joking about that, by the way. It was a joke. His, his, his campaign has come out and said he was just being sarcastic. Well, sure. And the funny thing about it is it's, it, it actually – it was a trap in a way because it forced the Clinton people to say, hey, that's an issue of national security. Her e- if it was the first time her emails were ever mentioned in a sentence with national security. Hmm. And which is the point Donald's been making. Well, yeah, that's why her email scandal is a big deal. Putin may very well have had her 30,000 emails before any of us will ever find him. So let Putin go find him. <laughs> Crazy. We'll get to all of that. We'll get to Donald and is he is he just stirring it up because he can? And it, it seems like he's having fun with it. Is it because the Democratic convention is getting better ratings than the Republican convention did? Is it because CNN's getting a lot better ratings than Fox News? Fox is fourth in the ratings on the convention coverage, which, remember, that's not how this works. No. Fox used to kill CNN. So something's weird. Hillary Clinton? Yeah. On Fox News on Sunday. What? Yeah. They used to never be on Fox News. They wouldn't go on Fox She's News. She's going over there. This is crazy. Yeah. We'll talk about all of that. Plus, uh, it's Chili Dog Day. Mmm. Milk Chocolate Day. And National Hamburger Day. You got to love it, folks. It's a good day for food. But first, let's get to Sadie Nielsen with the headlines from around the country. Sadie? Vice President. 
President Joe Biden is confident that the United States is on the right path, but the threats are too great and the times too uncertain for Donald Trump to ever come too close to the Oval Office. Biden shared details about his personal relationship with Hillary Clinton and what having a woman president would mean for his daughter and granddaughters. Senator Tim Kaine was formally nominated as the Democratic Party's vice presidential candidate at the Democratic National Convention on Wednesday afternoon. Kaine, who Hillary Clinton announced as her running mate last week, won the nomination by voice vote. If Clinton wins the election, Kaine will be the first, first vice president from Virginia since 1841. Tim Kaine introduced himself to the Democratic National Convention Wednesday night, telling the crowd he humbly accepted the VP nomination and giving his life story before launching some fierce attacks on Donald Trump. Kaine, whose son is a Marine, said Americans should trust Clinton and on a personal level, as as he's serving our nation abroad, I trust Hillary Clinton with our son's life. Also... WikiLeaks has released what appears to be 50 voicemail recordings from the Democratic National Committee members. This latest leak, released yesterday, follows a larger breach of DNC emails, which will lead to the resignation of DNC Chair Debbie Wasserman Schultz. The leaks have become a national security interest after U.S. intelligence organizations announced that the hack on DNC servers appears to have been committed by the Russian government. Last but not least... Yesterday, a new person announced they meowsed join the presidential camp, er, race. The cat in the hat made a public appearance in front of Dr. Seuss's childhood home in Springfield, Massachusetts, to announce his candidacy for president. president. He's got my vote. He peered outside the, the Springfield house with his running mates, Thing 1 and Thing 2. The cat in hat will be running as an independent and will be seeking cabinet members who can speak and rhyme. <laughs> That's cool. That you know what? Finally, I think a candidate we can all get behind. A candidate we and a wonderful cat and incredibly rhythmic rhyming abilities. Well done, Sadie. Holy cow! Uh, here's the deal. I will now give you my my feelings from last night in two words. Hmm. And this is my feeling. Believe me. I've had this about the entire election process. The two words are cognitive Mm. dissonance. Mm. Cognitive dissonance is a state of having inconsistent thoughts, beliefs, or attitudes, especially as relating to behavioral decisions and attitude change. Okay. For example, I, I want to believe that... These people are for the middle class. I want to believe that. Okay. I really want to believe that. And then you hear that the DNC and their leaked materials are charging $200,000 to have a breakfast with Hillary Clinton. Yes. I wanted to believe it. I I want to believe that the people that haven't had a pay raise for 15 years in the middle class – even though eight of them have been with President Obama. But he dug us out of a huge hole. Mm Mm-hmm. I want to believe that Hillary would make it different, except I can't. But I hear they will. But something inside of me is like saying, I ah, think probably won't. Hmm. Then I think, oh, well, maybe Donald could do it because Donald has made jobs for tens of thousands of people. That's what he says. I mean, of course, they're all cleaning hotel rooms. <laughs> sure. <laughs> and I'm like, well, I don't want don't that forget, job. Don't forget the pit bosses. They make a good, good that, salary. The pit bosses make yeah, good money. Yeah. So – I want to believe Trump that he can do this, and then he, but I, I don't know that he does. And then he makes a claim about debt, or he goes and he says, let the Russians get into hacking. And I'm like, yeah. he'll be strong. 
he'll fight for our country, but he'll do it with Putin. So I feel confused. I, I hear everybody. I hear somebody say something that nobody is – you are not your, – your, uh, your national security is not safer than in the hands of Hillary Clinton, except she had a server in her basement. So all night long this was happening. Yeah, it goes back all and forth. All night long. And by the way, it's not just this – the week before, same thing happening. Yeah. Then you hear Trump say something. Well, it so, happens daily. It no, doesn't matter the, the conventions or if they're just holding a press conference. Which tells me that they – again, I guess they just think that we don't think because they'll make a comment. There is nobody more whatever than Hillary Clinton or more whatever than Donald Trump. And yet we all know the other data. Mm-hmm. We know all the other data. <sighs> Cognitive distance. So I'm numb. There's probably a large chunk of the country that doesn't. No, that's the point. All they hear is what's said at that moment. Yeah, I agree with that. Move on. So true. And if we were just there to be moved, last night was incredibly moving, except if it's with the president of the United States who has, I guess, an average, uh, you know, popularity rate, approval rate, except the direction of the country polls are dismal. Mm Mm-hmm. So how can he have a great or a fairly okay approval rate rating, but the direction of the country is all wrong? But then Hillary just hugged on the direction of the country. Yeah. That's all wrong, according to 70% of the people. Dissonance. Hmm. I think the reality is everyone already has their, their horse. And oh, there's yeah. like 1% of the people that, that everyone's vying for. Yeah. <sighs> I don't know. But let's get to some of the audio. Uh, boy, where do you even begin? I, I Let me just – this may just totally summarize it. This is Joe Biden speaking to the middle America, kind of the, the working class. That's not Donald Trump's story. His cynicism is unbounded. His lack of empathy and compassion can be summed up in a phrase that I suspect he's most proud of having made famous. You're fired. Think about everything you learned as a child, no matter where you were raised. Why is he yelling? How can there be pleasure? It's a big room. In saying you're fired. He's trying to tell us he cares about the middle class. Give me a break. That's a bunch of malarkey. That's a great line. That's a great. He just said malarkey. Malarkey. Yeah. That's a great middle class. It means nonsense. Yeah, it's cool. That's a great line. But here's the dilemma. Why I feel dissonance. I like that he would fire people. Mm-hmm. There's certain people that should be fired, right? You take pride in that? No, but the people no. that need to be fired, there's people at the DNC that sure. need to be fired. Well, uh, and that, Somebody should fire them, but they're not. Right. They, they got rid of Wasserman Schultz, and she's well, now going to be on, President, on Hillary Clinton's campaign committee. Right. So she wasn't fired, but there were leaks. Well, but the leaks were because of Russia. But they were fighting against Bernie Sanders' dissonance. See how this works? So even a great speech like that, you're like, well, hold it. Yeah, but I agree. We shouldn't fire a great person that just needs a job. You shouldn't find pleasure in that. But firing somebody that was doing something wrong? Well, he didn't say that. What he said was you shouldn't take pleasure in firing someone. It seems like Donald Trump takes a lot of pleasure in that. Well, right. But isn't that what you want if you're going to clean up a a government? No, he's saying that it's the, the, the emotion of taking pleasure in it. He never said, I mean, I, I, right. I didn't take it that Biden's saying you should never fire somebody. No, 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 right. 
But should you not take pleasure in firing somebody that's doing something unethical, immoral, not right, that's costing us money? Should you, you not keep, find pleasure in that? Why do you keep looking at me? I don't know. I just feel like firing you would help. Be you cathartic? Do like, <laughs> you so, feel pleasure in that? So again, part of the dissonance, there's, there's half of this country that wants some people fired. That wants some people changed. Well, then go vote. That's how it works. Thank you, Mister <laughs> Mister President Obama. Go vote. <laughs> don't don't boo. half the country doesn't that's vote. What he said. So don't boo. Just vote. vote. That's what that's what he says. Don't boo. Just vote. Uh, here's here's another great one. Um, a completely different view about the country uh, from President Obama compared to the Republican convention. I stand before you again tonight, after almost two terms as your president to tell you I am more optimistic about the future of America than ever before. He's, he's never been more optimistic. Here's uh, how Obama thinks uh, Hillary's ready to be president. She knows what's at stake in the decisions our government makes. And no matter how daunting the odds, no matter how much people try to knock her down, she never, ever quits. That is the Hillary I know. That's the Hillary I've come to admire. And that's why I can say with confidence, there has never been a man or a woman, not me, not Bill, nobody, more qualified than Bill, Hillary Bill Clinton like that. to serve as president of the United States of America. There you go. Nobody more qualified. Not him, not Bill, nobody. Not Donald. In fact, here is President Obama's comment on Donald. America is already great. America is already strong. And I promise you, our strength, our greatness, does not depend on Donald Trump. He's just offering slogans. And he's offering fear. He's betting that if he scares enough people, he might score just enough votes to win this election. We're not a fragile people. We're not a frightful people. Our power doesn't come from some self-declared savior promising that he alone can restore order as long as we do things his way. We don't look to be ruled. Mm. Yeah. We don't need fear-mongering. There's just ISIS. It'll, it's there's a there's there's hope, the audacity of hope. Oh my word, dissonance, uh, and it's not just with the Democrats; it's both ways. Here's Leon Panetta, who was the past CIA director, talking about Donald Trump's comments um, around the Russian hacking. Donald Trump, who wants to be president of the United States is asking one of our adversaries to engage in hacking or intelligence efforts against the United States of America to affect an election. As someone who was responsible for protecting our nation from cyber attacks, it is inconceivable to me that any presidential candidate would be that irresponsible. Mm. You don't. And today he's saying he was just joking. Yeah. What? You can't have a joke? It's just a joke. Dissonance. Was he joking or was he serious? He actually, uh, his Trump uh, basically had a, a press conference 
Yeah. Which is amazing because now they're all saying, well, Hillary Clinton hasn't had a press conference. 230 days or something, yeah. How can you run for president and not have a press conference Well, sometimes Trump holds a press conference and doesn't take any questions. Well, yeah. So he just addresses the media, but he calls it a press conference. Again, there's one of the dissonance moments is Trump won't stop talking. Yeah. And Hillary won't start talking. They're both... Interesting uh, right. tactics. Isn't you know, it weird? When you're running so, for president. So do you believe the guy that just flaps his mouth so much that he gets in trouble all the time and half the time isn't saying anything valuable? In fact, half the time is repeating what he already just said. Hmm. Or do you trust the woman that doesn't ever disclose, that won't take a question daily? But she'll sit down with people. I mean she does interviews. Hmm. Don't get me wrong. Dissonance. And uh, so what will Trump do? Does Trump see Putin as an adversary or as an ally? I would treat Vladimir Putin firmly, but there's nothing I can think of that I'd rather do than have Russia friendly as opposed to the way they are right now so that we can go and knock out ISIS together with other people and with other countries. Wouldn't it be nice if we actually got along with people? Wouldn't it be nice if we actually got along as an example with Russia? I'm all for it. Hmm. Sounds like he's already getting along with Russia. Well, that's Weird. that's one of the speculations why he won't release his tax returns is because they'll show there's some financial dealings going on. Yes. Not not nothing n- nothing nefarious, just mm-hmm. he has business loans and you know you, you end up Getting financing from wherever you can, right. and if you got those sources from Russia, is he compromised? That's the question. Well, and and he says he has nothing to do with Russia. Donald Jr. says a disproportionate amount of their business is connected to Russia. Yeah, dissonance. Who do you believe? I don't know. And yet Donald's sitting here saying, wouldn't it be better if we were nice with people, which is exactly the different position he said and with Mexico, with the Middle East. He's he, The whole time he's been, we're going to bully these places, and now he wants to be nice with Russia. And then at one point he asks Russia for help finding the emails, and then uh, just after he finishes these comments – Pence, his vice presidential nominee, his running mate, comes out and says that if a foreign power interferes with the elections in the United States, they should face, you know, retribution or whatever. You know, so it's kind of a conflicting message within the party a little bit or within cognitive the campaign. dissonance. If you've learned any two words today, cognitive dissonance, those are the words. It's inconsistent thoughts, beliefs or attitudes, especially as relating to behavior, decisions and attitude change. I think we have two parties, two candidates that create cognitive dissonance for for people, and part of it's because we're biased. Every you know, everyone has an angle now, right? We all believe somebody, but uh, the hard part is no wonder we're going crazy. Who do you believe? Who do you believe? Well, our next guest might shed some light on it, folks, and uh, he's the author of the book, The President's Book of Secrets. He's going to walk us through what a presidential uh, intelligence briefing actually looks like. And we've got some questions for him about the latest uh, that's gone down with uh, with Mr. Trump. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody, to the Matt Townsend Show. little Air Force One music for you. Uh, it's as if Donald Trump's about to land his, his airplane. Apparently, this is the music they play as he lands his plane. 
Ever wonder what kind of information you would have access to as president of the United States? Well, Donald Trump is uh, is supposedly just about ready to start taking presidential intelligence briefings. And, um, you know, many now are questioning if that should happen. Harry Reid wants the CIA to give Donald Trump a fake intelligence briefing so that he can't go share the secrets with Russia. And it's become a big issue. Um, in fact, if you remember earlier in the campaign after uh, the FBI director Comey suggested that Hillary Clinton didn't handle her intelligence materials um, as carefully as she should have, uh, many were saying she shouldn't have intelligence briefings. So we decided let's go to an expert who's basically written the book on this and, and just learn about what happens with uh, all of the secrets that the president has to handle. Uh, David Priest is joining us. He is the author of the book, the, Pre- the President's Book of Secrets, the untold story of intelligence briefings to America's presidents from Kennedy to Obama. And uh, we are honored to have you on the show. Doc- Dr. David Priest, thank you for being with us. Thanks, Matt. It's a pleasure to be talking to you. What an interesting, um, boy, time to have you on the show, just in the last few hours even, uh, with everything that's going on with Donald and his statements about, yeah, why don't you have the Russians go find Hillary Clinton's emails? What do you think? Uh, Just give us your sense of what you see going on in the current presidential race with regards to to intelligence and, and our state secrets. Sure. I have to tell you, for somebody who's interested in presidential intelligence and the presidency, this is the gift that keeps on giving. Yeah, totally. It keeps bringing up new ideas that relate to what does the president see, what do presidents-elect see, what do presidential candidates see when it comes to top-secret intelligence, classified information that has grave implications for national security if it is somehow exposed or, or misused. I've seen the calls on both sides. I've seen people reacting to the FBI director's comments saying that Hillary Clinton has proven careless with this information and she should not receive the customary intelligence briefing that is provided to major party presidential candidates. And then, of course, I've heard the calls for Donald Trump not to receive these (laughs) because of his uh, ability, uh, seemingly on every occasion, to blurt things out that, that don't seem in line with what's appropriate at the time. So we have these calls going on, but there is a long-standing custom of doing this, and I think it's going to take something even more dramatic for the tradition to be closed off this year. Yeah. I mean, what's I think great about your background, too, um, David, is you're a former intelligence officer during the Bill Clinton and George W. Bush administrations and a former manager of da- and daily intelligence briefer of the CIA. I mean – you you've been in there you've you've been in the seats you've you've transferred the information right. um talk about kind of give us an overview of what is the the president's daily brief and um what does it look like how does it go down is it a meeting is it a book that you hand him do you take the book of information back when you leave the room how does it all go down you bet let me let me tackle some of that yes first of all i have been there and done that but the book that I wrote about this, The President's Book of Secrets, it's not my story. It's based on interviews I did with all of the living former presidents, all of the living former vice presidents, most of the former CIA directors, national security advisors, and others who are intimately involved with this daily book. It goes back to the 1960s. Uh, before then, there was not a daily product focused personally on the president, on the president's reading style, on his needs and interests. But it did start then and every day since then. 
we've been giving the President's Daily Brief, or PDB, to the President and to the small handful of other senior officials that the sitting President allows to receive it. Not all Presidents have received a briefer. Some of them have preferred to receive this book, which is usually in the range of about 10 pages. Sometimes it can be much shorter, sometimes much longer, but it does contain top-secret classified assessments of world affairs using all sources of intelligence, ranging from reports from the CIA's spies to details picked up by the national security agencies, listening posts, satellites, everything can go into the president's daily brief. Some presidents have chosen to sit down with a briefer, that is, get somebody from the CIA, traditionally now the office of the director of national intelligence, somebody to sit and talk through the content of the book to explain what's in there, perhaps hmm. to explore alternative assessments, things like that. So they, you really would customize it if somebody would rather hear it and have questions about it and wants to kind of ruminate with it. And that's one way to do it. Another is just hand them the book, let them read it. Um, that's exactly right. And, and the, one of the funniest things researching this book is looking at the variety that has come across the years from different presidents. Some presidents, Richard Nixon was a lawyer. He got his PDB in the form of a legal brief. It flipped at the top, and it had facts and opinions separated in separate columns. You had Lyndon Johnson. He tended to do a lot of work late at night sitting in bed, so he would get the PDB delivered to him in the afternoon so he could read it in the evening instead of in the morning. Wow. Traditional approach. Other presidents have varied in terms of how they wanted it. The key is it is the president's book of secrets, and it is tailored to the sitting president. I often say if the president decides that he wants his daily intelligence in the form of interpretive dance, there's <laughs> going to be a whole lot of intelligence officers learning how to dance to That's communicate right. that information. Well, with Mr. Trump, it's probably going to be in the form of CNN. You're going to have to do a newscast for him. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a different challenge for presidential candidates. Now, let me make a, yeah. something very clear here. Presidential candidates do not receive the president's daily brief. They have not been elected to anything. They do not see the crown jewels of United States intelligence. Traditionally, what has happened since the PDB was formed in the 1960 is the sitting president has allowed the president-elect to start receiving the PDB after the election. That is a preparation for the presidency. It's a chance to get familiar with the daily intelligence grind. It's also a way to get the president to interact with his soon-to-be intelligence services to get a sense of, how does this work for me? Is there something I would like done differently in this book that I'll get every day to suit my personality and my needs better? But the candidates don't get that. The candidates' briefings that we've been talking about for Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump, those are top-secret assessments of world affairs, but they do not have the specific information about intelligence sources and methods that come in the president's daily brief would they be uh, would they be deeper briefs than maybe sent the Senate are getting or Congress might be seeing? Yeah, it depends because on the Senate and the, the House side as well, there are intelligence committees, and those intelligence committees typically are the ones that deal with the most classified information. Someone who has been on one of those committees probably would not be surprised by the level of analysis and the kind of information brought into these candidate intelligence briefings. However, many other members of Congress rarely get high-level classified briefings. Of course, Donald Trump has not served in the Congress. Hillary Clinton, as a former senator, would have received some of those briefings. But we have to remember, she was also Secretary of State for four right. years, and she was one of the designated recipients 
of President Obama's Book of Secrets. So she is very familiar with what daily intelligence can do, and there probably would be nothing in the candidate intelligence briefing she'd receive that would be a surprise to her in terms of its form and its content. Uh, David, do we need to worry that the president possible, uh, that Hillary Clinton, for example, she was already receiving these for five years. Um, Should we worry about her history of not handling intelligence very carefully or it, does does the CIA ensure their own intelligence is, is handled carefully at that level? Well, at this point, since about 2004, 2005, with the institution of the Director of National Intelligence to oversee the entire intelligence community, the tradition of CIA providing these briefings has shifted to that new bureaucracy. So the, the Director of National Intelligence oversees the briefing and its process. <laughs> uh, CIA is still involved as one of the largest uh, elements of the intelligence community. In terms of Hillary Clinton, there was no indication that when she was Secretary of State, she was being casual with the president's daily brief itself or or saying anything about it or emailing about it. So the precedent of that suggests that politics is playing a large role here. Mm -hmm. However, we do have an unprecedented situation. We've never had an FBI director call out a presidential candidate for being reckless or careless with classified information. Uh, that introduces a, a new element. Wow. Talk about um, – let's just, let's just ask you one more question. We'll take a break. But I, what, what does the, the National Intelligence Agency or, or the National Security Agency and the National – the intelligence directors, what are they thinking of as they look out at the election and they hear Donald say what he's saying about Russia – and, uh, you know, come on, go find those emails kind of comments. Yeah, I sure can't speak for the people in those positions. I don't envy them being in those yeah. positions because they're in a tough bind now. The, the White House has said that it is up to the Office of the Director of National Intelligence to do these briefings, and the White House will not interfere. But ultimately, it is a presidential call. There is nothing in law that says that candidates must receive intelligence briefings. It's a mm. custom that started way back in 1952. Harry Truman had come into office as president, not even knowing the Manhattan Project existed. He didn't know mm. about the atomic bomb, and suddenly he was the president in a time of war. Yeah. He did not want his successors to be in the same situation. He also thought, and the tradition has carried forward, that presidential candidates should have a sense of the classified situation around the world so they don't say something galactically stupid on the campaign trail <laughs> that will either box themselves right. into a bad situation once they're president or complicate national security for the sitting president. So that's the tradition. And being a tradition, since the 1950s, it would take a heck of a lot for somebody oh. to decide we are not going to do this anymore. Yeah, can you imagine that? And just the, oh boy, the the issues that would create. Well, let's take a break. We're speaking with Dr. David Priest. He is the author of the book, The President's Book of Secrets, The Untold Story of Intelligence Briefings to America's Presidents from Kennedy to Obama. When we come back, we're going to get into some of the, uh, the interesting secrets that uh, the past presidents have had to deal with and some of the inside stories. Uh, fascinating, fascinating read. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show.
Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Joining us on the phone, Dr. David Priest. He's the author of the book, President's Book of Secrets, The Untold Story of Intelligence Briefings to America's Presidents from Kennedy to Obama. Uh, Dr. Priest is currently the Director of Analytic Services for Analytic Advantage Incorporated, was a former intelligence officer during the Bill Clinton and George W. Bush administrations, and the former manager and daily intelligence briefer at the CIA. Dr. Priest, thank you so much for being with us today. You're welcome. And helping us understand this, I mean, I can't imagine the burden as you as as you sit down as a presidential, either I guess candidate, but really as you sit in the Oval Office your first week or two or three and have these briefings, it it, it must be overwhelming for the president. Yeah, John F. Kennedy said it clearly, and President Obama echoed this last night when he he said nothing really prepares you for the presidency. But experience does matter, and uh, presidents have varied in their experience coming in. But when it comes to the top secret intelligence you get in your daily book of secrets, there's nothing quite like it. Sure, there's news analysis out there. There's plenty of people talking about foreign affairs and national security. But when it comes to knowing what's inside the mind of a foreign adversary or an opportunity overseas that is only clear through top secret intelligence information, that's something that does tend to serve as a wake-up call for presidents. In the history that I wrote, the President's Book of Secrets, and talking to the living former presidents and people who had worked with presidents even farther back, I found that every president took this very seriously. They treated the book differently. They treated their intelligence agencies differently. But they seem to have all appreciated the fact that they needed to have an objective understanding of international affairs that can come through a well-executed intelligence document like this. Oh, yeah. And if you think of somebody, I mean, Hillary Clinton um, and Secretary Clinton for years had, I'm sure, some type of information or briefing maybe as the first lady to, to one level or another, but then as a senator had other levels of briefings. And then as a, as a attorney or as the secretary of state, sure. she, I mean, I, really it, it, it has to have, it ha, it's prepared her probably better as president Obama was saying better than anybody to be able to, to start running with the intelligence. Right. Well, there's certainly some politics involved there. No one will doubt that. Right. Secretary Clinton has the experience based on those positions. Saying she's the most experienced shows right. a disregard for history. You've got yeah, talk about that. George H.W. Bush, who was a World War II Navy pilot, the youngest in the Navy at the time. He became Republican National Committee chairman. He was a representative. He served as the de facto ambassador to China, the CIA director, <laughs> vice president for right. eight years. You, you can't compare and, those two. Well, and President uh during wasn't he temporarily even i don't know if he, the powers were ever turned over to him but he led right. the government as president reagan had been yeah very, very briefly shot. during uh, yeah. i think reagan's surgery uh, there was a uh, a brief moment when he did but it's also interesting with the george h w bush case because not only did he feel as a former cia director and as a daily recipient of this book of secrets for a full 12 years not only did he feel a close enough connection to it that when I asked him to write the foreword to the book, he stepped right up and did it. Hmm. But he also told me a lot about how he took the book. Yes, he, he treated it very seriously. He had things like the end of the Cold War to manage, the Iraqi invasion of Kuwait, and then the war to liberate Kuwait. Very oh, wow. serious issues. Yeah. But he was comfortable enough with his intelligence and with the people working in the intelligence services 
to have some fun with it. In one case, he made a bet with his daily briefer over the analysis in the book about an election in Central America. He bet that the analysis in the book was wrong. Oh, wow. Uh, and the president was right. And the next day, the briefer brought an ice cream cone to pay <laughs> off the bet. Oh, that's things great. Like that. yeah. yeah. Things like that showed a lot of comfort with the book and allowed the intelligence folks to put some humor into the book. One former PDB editor back from the Bush 41 days remembers a title on an article about the withdrawal of Soviet forces from East Germany, and they titled it, Tanks for the Memories. <laughs> I mean, you got to have a little fun. Yeah, and President Clinton did the same. Uh, did he? Even though he had a very different approach to the book. How, how, did, he, how did he want it delivered? Well, he had more of an ebb and a flow with the daily briefings. At first, he started with daily briefings, but he was habitually unable to keep to a schedule. And right. his advisors were constantly having to reschedule things, push things back. And it just got to the point where the regular intelligence briefings couldn't continue. But he still did read the book every day and had a good enough interaction with it that the CIA authors of it a couple of times pulled a fast one on him. In one case, they wrote up a book. He starts reading it, and article after article in the President's Daily Brief is talking about crises all over the world, and all of them are linked to specific things that President Clinton has said or done in the previous days or weeks. And it's only after he gets through it for a while that he realizes this is a prank PDB. They're giving me a fake one to give me a, a fun experience today. They did that both on his birthday and on April Fool's Day. Oh, that's great. A little special attention. Well, I mean, it's got to be so intense that to, to actually play a joke on the president at that level would be pretty fun. Well, there has to be a certain level of comfort. Yeah. And you buy that credibility as an intelligence service if in the Daily Book of Secrets – you're delivering the goods on a regular basis. You're giving credible, objective information that's helping the president make decisions by reducing the uncertainty inherent in international affairs. If you do that, and if you do that well, I think any president's going to appreciate a little bit of humor now and then you bet. to lighten the mood. Tell us about George W. Bush, um, right. because, I mean, there was a big, apparently, intelligence uh, mistake um, with going into Iraq. Explain, just explain his approach, some of the things we need to know about him, and what may have happened there. Right. The case with George W. Bush is very interesting. He probably had the closest relationship with the president's daily brief of any president, even including his father. He had daily working-level sessions with the CIA briefers. The funny thing about the whole Iraq situation is once the Iraq war was going on and once it was starting to turn south, what a regular person would probably do is get this steady drumbeat of negative news in the president's daily brief about how bad things are and how the situation is going into decline in so many ways. And it would be natural to just say, I don't want to hear it anymore. Right. I know it's bad. Please stop beating me over the head with it. George W. Bush did the opposite. He actually turned up the volume on the intelligence briefings by adding to the regular daily session what came to be known as deep dive briefings, when they would bring in experts on particular issues, largely Iraq and Afghanistan, but many other issues as well, people who would go into the Oval Office or the Situation Room and sit and talk to the president on a specific topic for 20, 30, 40 hmm. minutes in depth. That's the kind of relationship he had with it. It's a totally separate question what a president does with it. That right. is, are the decisions ones that at the time or in retrospect we would agree with. But in terms of taking the intelligence seriously and pushing intelligence analysts to give him more information, George W. Bush probably is at the top of the list of those who have received the Book of Secrets.
He went deeper. And it's like the deeper he went into the war, the deeper he went into these situations, he took the content even deeper. Right. Wow. And, and that came from the very beginning, even as president-elect. I mentioned earlier that as presidential candidates, they do not receive the president's daily brief. But right. as soon as a president-elect is named, traditionally, the sitting president has allowed the president-elect to start seeing the president's daily brief. Funny thing happened in the year 2000, of course, because the election happened. We didn't know who the next president was. Right. Al Gore and George W. Bush were. Yeah, who gets the briefing? Waiting. Al Gore was in perfectly fine situation. He was vice president. He was receiving the PDB every day. But as it went on and on, they started to wonder, how long can this wait? And so for the first time in history, somebody started receiving the president's daily brief, who was not either president or president-elect, because the Clinton administration decided it had gone on long enough and even before the Florida recount was resolved through the Supreme Court, George W. Bush started getting the PDB to prepare him in case he was, in fact, the president-elect. Hmm. Wow. I mean, it's, there's something about it. And even the willingness to sit there all day and keep up on this is um, – it's, it's, it's to be respected. Uh, talk about uh, – did anybody not value it? Did anybody not pay as much attention historically? Right. The standout there is Richard Nixon. Now, Richard Nixon came into office with extensive foreign policy experience. He'd been vice president for eight years. He'd been a prominent senator focusing on foreign affairs. He came into office, and while he was president-elect, the CIA set up a transition office to try to serve his intelligence needs. They delivered a copy of Lyndon Johnson's President's Daily Brief to his office every day. All of those were returned, envelopes unopened. Uh, It appears that Nixon didn't even look at them. During his administration, he probably read the PDB, but we don't have definitive evidence of that because he did not take a strong interest in it and did not interact politely with his intelligence services. Almost all of his interactions with the analysts and the managers of analysts were very negative, even scornful, putting them down as either being stupid or being, in his mind, politically biased. Wow. Um, And yet... They kept producing the PDB every single day for him, hoping that that would help reduce the uncertainty in those decisions he had to make. Does it um, – you guys, the, the CIA, and when you were doing your briefings, you spend so much time and energy to make sure it's accurate. Right. D- does it frustrate you to see um, intelligence handled and mishandled and, and even out of naive, either whether naivete or just an ignorance or out of spite? Of course it does. Uh, it's, it's a very special product because it contains the highest level of classified information that is available designed to help the person who has to make some of the toughest decisions in the world. And there have been administrations in the past where the PDB was passed around and people saw it who weren't supposed to. In one case, back in the Reagan administration, it was passed around. Lots of people around the National Security Council and the White House were seeing it. And one person was very upset by that, and that was George H.W. Bush, the Hmm. vice president. He had been CIA director, and he knew that in some cases, lives were on the line. The intelligence sources providing the information that went into the PDB, if that information got out, in theory, they could be identified, and they could be in deep trouble. Oh, wow. Oh, I think it's powerful. What a great book. Great work. Uh, Dr. David Priest, thank you so much for being with us and sharing your insight. Thank you, Matt. It was a pleasure. Perfect timing. Uh, for all of us. Uh, go go look up the book, folks. The President's Book of Secrets, The Untold Story of Intelligence Briefings to America Presidents from Kennedy to Obama. Aren't you lucky to know that you've got people that are willing to 
They're behind the scenes. So whatever candidate gets in there, there's people behind the scenes doing everything they can to make sure the information is accurate. We'll take a break, folks, uh, continuing to, uh, to give you the information you need to make the decisions you need to in life. This is the Matt Townsend Show. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, as, as we talk with uh, Dr. David Priest about uh, national security, national intelligence, one thing that soothed my soul and heart was the idea to, of the fact that there are people behind the scenes that are in the know, that they have information, and um, they're going to at least make sure these candidates are informed. I, I can only imagine what they're thinking about as they look at, for example, Donald Trump. And, um, wow, there's just a lot. They, they've got, okay, we're going to have to do this kind of briefing, and we're going to have to stay on it. But the benefit, I think, for all of us folks is everybody can have your own style. You can have your own approach. The intelligence is the intelligence. The secret, uh, the CIA and the National Security Advisors, they're going to, they're going to do what they can. And you still have to then take the intelligence and make intelligent decisions with it. You have to be willing to act. And that is some of the pushback that's been there on Hillary Clinton is she's had the intelligence. She's been in these briefings, and yet she has made uh, – they they comment on the fact that she has made some mistakes in Libya and um, in other places that, that, that are costly. So – it's not enough to be in the know, folks. You also have to um, have the character to, to secure that information, uh, which, if you notice again, both the candidates are being questioned on. Loose lips sink ships, right? And uh, Hillary Clinton, loose you know, email servers sink possible presidential candidates, if you're not careful. So you got to have the character to manage it, but you also have to have the competency to know what to do with this data. So just think about it. The, the country will be safe. It, it, it will be safe security-wise. It may not be safe uh, with intelligence and competency-wise. That's what you're voting for. So just think that through as, uh, as you're making these big decisions in your life. We will um, take a break, folks. That's hour number one of the Matt Townsend Show. Stick with us. we got a good show for you coming up, continuing the lessons you need to live healthier, happier lives. We'll be right back. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt here, your life coach, your guide on the side. Top of the morning to you. Uh, Nearly the middle of the morning for some. Yes. Hour number two of the Matt Townsend Show. Top of the mid-morning to you. Just doesn't have the same ring to it. Yeah. It's it's not as, like, it doesn't flow. Yeah. Top of the mid-morning to you. Not that Lucky charm, lucky Charms appeal that you like to have. No, no, no. And uh, speaking of Lucky Charms, happy uh, Chili Dog Day mm. and Milk Chocolate Day. Mm. Mm. Milk Chocolate Day celebrating the man who decided to put milk in chocolate. What were they putting in it before? I don't know. Apparently it wasn't milk. Probably cream. Probably. Mm, that sounds good. But someone came up with that, and so apparently they're celebrating his birthday. Well, bless him. 
He did a service to the world. It's also National Hamburger Day. How do we say hamburger in German? Hamburger. <laughs> Not even close. I didn't say that. Not even so close. So hamburger just means person from Hamburg. <gasps> Is that what's in yeah. the McDonald's hamburger? And a, a wiener means Could be. Oh, somebody oh. from Vienna. Okay. A wiener. A wiener schnitzel. And then okay. a frank means mm. someone from Frankfurt. Frankfurt. What is the deal? But they're just food. All of our all of our foods named after these. Yeah. And then German. a jelly filled donut is a Berliner or a person from Berlin. It seems sort of rude. And then an Americano is what's, like a cookie. What's a cheddar cheese filled hot dog? Uh, what would that be called? Uh, Himmel. Really? What's, There's a name for it. Wow. No, what's that macaroni smothered in Cheetos called? Um, tot. What does uh, that mean? Death. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it's pretty good, yeah. Wow, it's neat how they name things after their certain cities. Mm. I wonder what they would name, like, you know, like, what would you call, uh, I don't know, St. Louis. No, what would you call, yeah, after just an average city in the United States? Whatever food's popular. Salt there. Lake City. White bread. White toast. <laughs> um, okay. And that makes sense. What about Sacramento? I don't know. Yeah. See? Pro- Trump, I just trumped you. We could really get in some trouble here if we keep going. We totally will. Hey, uh, we've got a great show for you. Have you ever tried to work with millennials, those darn millennials? Yeah, it's really kind of annoying. 18 to 34-year-old. My entire life is spent with millennials, and it's killing me all day. Millennials. Everywhere I look. They're needy. Needy. They're grumpy because of debt. Grumpy, way overburdened with debt. Yeah, just chill out. Relax. I got a guy I work with. I'm not going to name names. Smells totally like ice cream. All the time. All the time. Mm. It's like that's the only thing he eats. I'll say she. It's the only thing she eats. Just to make sure nobody knows who I'm talking right, about. Right, right, right. That was good. That was good. I like that. So we're going to be speaking with Jamie Tenzer about um, some, uh, some interesting information about managing and working with millennials. What we all need to know. And is it even fair to just categorize somebody as a millennial? Because you know there might be you know, there might be one that's got a, an old soul. Who knows? We'll talk to her about managing and working with millennials. What everybody needs to know. It's it's some good insight for all of us. Also, um, we've got a lot of headlines for you. Uh, we'll be talking more about uh, what's going on with Trump. Apparently, Trump doesn't like emails. Donald Trump doesn't do the email thing. We'll get to that, which is funny because he's all over Hillary, who does it like crazy. Yeah. We'll, and we'll also, of course, uh, just continue the fun discussion about um, – how do you put this? We're going to be talking about – A match made in heaven. A match made in heaven. There was – if, if you don't believe in serendipity, there was, a, there was an accident on the freeway that created the perfect – the perfect combination. And uh, a, a national chain has picked it up, and we're going to run their commercial. Oh, nice. Powerful. So stick with us on that. That's coming up. But first, let's get uh, to the headlines with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie? Well, Matt, Americans find Hillary Clinton and Donald Trump equally unfavorable, according to a new Gallup poll conducted between July 18th and July 25th. The surveyed Americans rated for the first time ever both Clinton and Trump at 37% favorable and 58% unfavorable. The figures indicate a slump for Clinton, who has routinely scored a higher rating than Trump since July 2015. Thomas DeMassimo, 
22, has been sentenced to one-year probation for jumping the stage during a Trump rally in Dayton, Ohio, back in March. The Powder Springs, Georgia native pleaded guilty in the U.S. District Court to entering and remaining in an area restricted by the Secret Service. DeMassimo also has been banned from attending any future Republican presidential events. And last year... uh, Two summers ago, people thought it was pointless, but the Ice Bucket Challenge Internet Sensation actually gathered enough funds to make an important breakthrough in ASL research. The University of Massachusetts Medical School discovered the gene that is responsible for ALS. Scientists were able to research this gene with help from ASL's association, which donated $1 million from the Ice Bucket Challenge. And finally, in Pokemon news. Oh boy. Here we go. A Florida nursing home and rehab center has found a new tool to keep seniors physically and mentally active. The wonderful game of Pokemon Go. The staff introduced the game to seniors recovering from injuries. Uh, One lady, Brenda Francis, who is recovering from a broken hip, said, You can walk around the corner and doing it, and that's not that far. I have a good time. Chloe Kaufman, 92, said she finds the game helps her mind remain active. Most patients remember their grandchildren playing it, and now they get to experience it for themselves. That's great. Nerd alert! You're calling old people nerds? Hey, they're the ones playing the game. That's very insensitive. Hold it, Terry's playing the game. Not anymore. Alert nerd. I have lost interest. Old man officially. alert. Old man alert. I have officially lost interest. Do you want in us to get you a chair? I could. I stand up all day. It's could I get tired. you to pull up a chair for Terry? Hey, um, wow, that's great news. The, the senior centers, they're, they're still pokey go. Pokey go. Pokey used to mean something different back in their day. It was the hokey pokey, and oh, you turn yourself around. That still hasn't lost its fun and charm either. Put your right foot in. Put it and shake, shake it. it all all, don't shake it too hard, Gladys. <laughs> You'll shake it right off. <laughs> Dislocate a hip. Love it. Hey, as a guy that uh, has those senior hips already, um, be careful doing the hokey pokey. Yeah. Hey, so here's the deal. Um, we wanted to bring you this really, I think, powerful story. Not since a chocolate bar accidentally crashed into a boy carrying a jar of peanut butter has there been a better combination that collided into this heavenly experience. Listen to this crazy story. By the way, totally true story. New Jersey State Police said a truck carrying a load of deli meat Mm. collided with a bread truck on a stretch of highway, but there was no sign of mustard and pickles. That's all right. Unless you you brought your own. I'll be cool. The state police said the trucks collided just before 6 a.m. Friday morning in southbound lanes of Interstate 287 in Piscataway. One of the drivers was hospitalized with non-life-threatening injuries. Now it's not lost on us that the bread and the lunch meat collided on the highway, the officer said. We don't know what the odds are of this happening, but the only thing that could have made this stranger is an additional truck hauling mustard and pickles. There you go. But usually that could just be on the side and you could just do that little, uh, you know, toppings bar. Yeah. So um, who would take better care of this or who who would be more interested in this story than than one of the biggest vendors of Subway kind of sandwiches. So we found a new ad they're putting out. Okay. That has footage from the scene. Oh, okay. And then that makes sense. It's part of their new. It's part of their because they had to replace their spokesperson. I'm not going to name the company. Right. But they had to replace their and they thought you know that one ended with such a crash and a wreck mm. that maybe the new launch could start with a crash and a wreck. Here's the ad.
But you weren't going to name it. I didn't. You just played their commercial. I know, but they named it. They named themselves. Okay. Wasn't that beautiful? Yeah. A little car wreck, some music. What are the odds? Very simple. Very, very simple ad. Yeah. But it expresses the love of the sandwich. Subway. I like that. Make it fresh. Off the Right off the road. (laughs) It's great. Mine's got gravel in it. I think that's just great stuff. (sighs) Anyway. Anything else going on around the country we need to pay attention to, Terry? So yesterday, Donald Trump held a press conference. Okay. It was a little odd. Was it Trumpy? Uh, Very, very (laughs) Trumpy. And a lot of the uh, people covering it, people watching it, I, I it actually happened kind of towards the end of yesterday's show, and I saw some of the the clips coming in, and he's just saying like, "What's going on? What's he talking about?" Play, uh, play clip two. Yes, I'm not an email person. I'm not an email person myself. I don't believe in it because I think it can be hacked for one thing. But when I send an email, I mean, if, if I send one, I send one almost never. I'm just not a believer in email. A lot of people have taught me that, including Hillary. Wow. So he's he, not a believer. He's not a believer. He's not an email person. Right. This is why he's so okay with Russia hacking us. Yeah. They're not going to find anything on his server. But that was a joke. He didn't mean that. It was sarcastic. Oh, when he, when yeah, he asked yeah. for Russia's help yeah, he to find yeah, he doesn't. He doesn't really want Russia to help. Right. Even though it would be fine, it's nice to know what happened to the thing. So I found this list of things that he said in the press conference. Mm-hmm. What? We'll, we'll just judge what you think okay. of each one. Yeah, that's good. Uh, he wants to renegotiate the Geneva Convention. He's pro-torture. Well, you know, honestly, who isn't? <laughs> who doesn't love a little torture now and then? Are you serious? Yeah. You want like The convention was done in when? After World War One, I, I believe. <laughs> Maybe World War II. I never liked that Geneva Convention. Okay. That's I mean, I'm probably saying because we're in a different age, different yes. time. Okay? We're talking he, – we've uh, we talked about how he wants the Russia to help him find Clinton's missing emails. And mm-hmm. he promises rewards with sure. the media being – assisting him there. Uh, he goes off about Anthony Weiner, who's the husband of uh, Hoda – the not Hoda. Yeah, um, the, the Abedin. Abed, Hoda Abedin, yeah. the, the assistant to uh, Hillary Clinton, and so goes off on Anthony Weiner. Mm-hmm. Uh, he snaps at NBC reporter Katie Tour, tells her to be quiet. Yeah, that was weird. She was trying to finish her question. He was trying to talk over her, and he goes, quiet, just just stop talking. <laughs> now, granted, she was talking, and she came out and said, well, we could either have a candidate that tells me to be quiet or a candidate in Hillary Clinton that doesn't talk for over 200 days, so either way. The debate, okay. Um, let's see. He asks for an entire room of reporters if they know what the N-word means. That was in the press conference. This this was one press conference. Yes, this this wasn't all of his bloopers. No, no, no. From a million press. Conferences. No, this is one. He uh, he he also says this clip five. If you'll play five, there. I have nothing to do with Russia. What do I have to get involved with Putin for? I have nothing to do with Putin. I've never spoken to him. I don't know anything about him. But in twenty, 20- so he has nothing to do with Russia. Right. Because they're asking you. You seem to have a a budding friendship with Putin. What's going on there? And, are you involved in, you know, you're, yeah. you're, it seems like you're pro-Russia hacking as you just ask them for assistance. So it just seemed kind of odd to have to say <laughs> that. Uh, he says France is no longer France. Uh, okay. What, 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 did, what did he mean by that? Oh, because they've changed something? I guess. They're okay. changed. All right. uh, Trump casually calls Obama the most ignorant president in our history. Wow. Okay. 
it's probably debatable. There's been well, I mean, there's quite been a few pretty presidents. presidents sure. Yeah. So um, let's see. Well, he call, claims Hillary Clinton's vice presidential pick, Tim Kaine, it was a terrible at running New Jersey. Uh-huh. Kaine is the governor, former governor of Virginia. But <laughs> By the details. Way, and that, and, that's and the a four, big point. Yeah. Mean, he, every, any other candidate would have been blown out of the water for making a mistake. I mean, uh, George Bush Sr.'s guy. What was, who was his vice president? The spelled potato. The potato, wrong. yeah, yeah, yeah. Dan, Blown Don, out of Dan the Quill, water. Dan, Dan Quill. Quill. Blown out of the water for that one mistake. But Donald Trump can say anything he wants to. Yeah. Nothing. Okay. He says he's from Jersey. Okay. Right. Uh, Trump had to be corrected on the name of the man who shot Ronald Reagan. Okay. It's John Hinckley, not David Hinckley. <laughs> He kept calling him David, and he was, the reporter goes, John. He goes, right, 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 John. I, that's John what Hinkley. I said. Did you not hear me? As he was released from prison yesterday. Right. Uh, Trump suggests he'd recognize Crimea as belonging to Russia. If you remember over in uh, with, with Crimea, it was basically invaded. Yeah, right. And annexed. The people, there's reports from Russia saying that the people in Crimea voted to leave. <laughs> But the kind of international community sees that as an invasion. Yeah. So that, that was what you thing. would do if your country was invaded. Like that. Yeah. And Trump, uh, his own vice presidential pick, released a statement just after the press conference, sort of distancing himself from Trump's Trump's uh, comments about Russia, saying that if any country tries to interfere with our elections, they should be punished. Sure. Even though Trump asked Russia to go find the missing emails, so that would influence the election. <sighs> so that, that was the press conference yesterday. Well, the funny thing is, though, and I think I know what he's doing. He, accuracy doesn't matter because his his goal isn't accuracy. His goal is, you know, confusion. Right. So it works. And at the same time, he got a lot of media coverage off right. saying those things. That's right. And that's kind of what you want to do is still a little of the thunder kind away. Of disrupt the yeah. Democrat convention. So, and then they spoke about it during the convention. So it's, he, it's working. He feels as if he's affecting the conversation. Yeah, he nailed so. it, he thought. Okay. Wow. We're learning, aren't we, folks? Isn't this fun? Politics. And, uh, you know, what's the worst thing that could happen? It's just the presidential election. Crazy stuff. We will take a break. When we come back, we're going to be talking about how to manage and work with millennials, what we all need to know. Interesting work uh, by Jamie Tenzer. Stick with us, folks. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. You know, we've talked about millennials a lot on the program, and we got to be careful. We act like they're lepers, that they don't have any gumption, any they just aren't motivated, but that's not true. They are motivated. They're just motivated differently. Isn't that right, Ben? Um, I don't know what that's supposed to mean You weren't exactly. even listening, were you? I understand. Um, I understand. Again, I did doze off a little bit, but uh, it's in in the end. These are just generational differences, and remember, um, your your child, your coworkers may be different. So don't just go in assuming that millennials are all the same way that they don't want to work, that they don't, you know, care. They they do. They just. They they come from a different age where they were raised as the kids that were told they could do no wrong. They were the kids that were told they could be 
anything they wanted to be. And they were raised with technology in their hands, and they're the most compassionate generation you've ever seen and open. And they don't necessarily feel like they need a mortgage. These are all the things we've been told historically about the millennial generation. But the question eventually becomes, what do you do? I mean, if I'm working, I've got to understand about millennials. I've got to understand who they really are and not just immediately judge them, not just, you know, throw them into this this uh, belief system about who they are, because in reality, they may they may not be what I I think they are. So we probably ought to learn one by one how to deal with them, how to handle them and how to work with them. Um, which is not an easy task for anything, for anybody. Uh, we ought to just as easily be teaching the millennials how to deal with the, the other generations, the X generation, the Y, the, what, we, what I like to call the more perfect generation. Uh, rough around the edges, generally. What, what are you talking about? What do you mean? Just like the difference. So millennials are kind of like they hit the ground running from what I've noticed, observed. Well, half of that was right. Um, and then... The generation, what are you, baby boomer? No. Generation. I'm an X. I'm a Gen You're X. You're an X. You're Gen Generation X. X. Like, uh, like in the word excellent. You yeah. like that. Or exterminate. Yeah, exterminate the millennial. You should be. <laughs> I understand. I don't know why you're talking. But um, <laughs> <laughs> I sound like Donald Trump right there, shushing a reporter. Shh, stop. Blah, 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 blah. Millennials, they, they really are, um, they're, they're the rising generation. They're bigger, they say they're getting bigger than millennia, than baby boomers. This generation, folks, it's here to stay. So whether it's your grandkids, your, uh, you know, your children, your stepchildren, your friends, whether it's just that, that kid that's living in your basement that you're wondering, is he ever going to move out? You need to understand this generation. And as it is with all human beings, the, the best understanding comes when you're open to, to listening and not just immediately qualifying them as a millennial, right? In the end, if we want to have any progress with our, with our, our friends, our coworkers, our family, it probably isn't best to start with a prejudice or an assumption. It's probably not best to start with just massive expectations. What the best way to start would probably be to figure out what's really going on in um, in their head, what's really going on in their life. And so as you're dealing with them, let me give you some tips, some cues, and some clues for how to help uh, work with, manage, and, and be connected to um, a millennial. Rule number one, about all human endeavors, okay? Anytime you have to deal with another human being, the principle of choice is simply this. In order to influence somebody positively, you must first be influenced by them. If you want to have an effective relationship with your, uh, with your millennial, you've got to be influenced by them. Get into them and understand what's going on in their head. Is there a reason that they're not seemingly so rambunctious or ambitious to get out and and start a career what is it that they are thinking are they are they concerned that they i I had a a situation the other day where someone was saying i really want to do what you do matt i really want to help people learn to talk i want to do that i want to speak for a living 
And I'm like, great, come follow me. Just come walk and watch what I do. And if you want, I've got a lot of internship stuff we can have you do if you want to learn how to do what I do. Uh, and her, and basically what I said was, let's do it. Come on over. I, I can't pay you uh, to do this, but I've got stuff you could learn to do, and it would get you up and running, and then I could I could help you get some position in the in the industry. And they looked at me like, well, so I, I would do it for free? And I'm like, well, yeah. I mean, yeah, you, you would. You would. Well, okay. Yeah. Well, um, I, I got – is there anything else? Do you ever need me to do anything for to be paid? And I'm like, well, maybe the payment is just that I could probably set you up. I could let you go to my coaching program. People pay a lot of money for that. Yeah. That's what you said about this job with me. I know. For like a year. Well, I know. We, the assumption was with you, Ben, is that it would take off and we would be able to pay you someday. But we can't now. Now we've got to hire somebody that can do the job and then we're going to pay them. Okay. Uh, okay. I guess that makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Anyway. We're going to take a break. When we come back, our guest Jamie Tenzer is on the line. She's going to be talking to us about the skills, the tools, the rules for dealing or managing and working with millennials. What you need to know and what you need to not worry about when it comes to the millennial age. Stick with us. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you relate better to the people you're with. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Jamie Tenzer is joining us. She's an executive coach, trainer, and mentor. And for the past 15 years, she's uh, been privileged to coach and train executives and managers uh, to work uh, internationally. And um, and and she's she's a mentor and a trainer. And she has successfully worked with uh, executives in teaching them about how to work with millennials. And today we wanted to bring her in to talk about how how we can learn to better manage and uh, work with the millennials that are in our lives. They make up a major part of the workforce and they are the future of our workforce. Jamie Tenzer, welcome to the Matt Townsend show. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me. You bet. Thanks for being with us. It's, um, you know, we, we talked before you got on about how sometimes millennials get a bad rap and we, we throw them together in a big, you know, mix of traits and beliefs about them. But what is it we really need to know, Jamie, about working with millennials? What, what, are, what are some of the keys that, that we, we, we need to pay attention to? Well, it's, it's a really good question. I'd say the first thing is to realize that millennials are not really that different than, than we are. Uh, they're interested in being engaged. They want to be inspired by what they do. They want to get feedback about how they're doing, and they want to feel like they have a future in professionally and also to, uh, to, to their personal development. Right. And, you know, if, if we take a step back, and it's great what you said about we have all these beliefs and we kind of put lump them in a big pile. Uh, if we were to take a step back and just shed those beliefs, you know, shift our perspective and really look at each 
person we're dealing with as an individual and get curious about who that person is, what makes them tick, how we can ask good questions to find out uh, what it is they're looking for. We'll, we will eliminate probably 75% of the problem right. with millennials. Yeah. I mean, I guess that's it. It, it always starts with our assumptions, right? Our, our beliefs, our prejudice about who the people we're working with. Absolutely. And if you have a mindset that, for example, millennials are lazy, uh, and you're looking at your millennial employee through that, through that filter, if you walk by her desk and she's on the phone, on her cell phone, or if she comes into your office and says, hey, can I leave early today? You're going to look at that through that filter and say, she's not interested in working. Right, right. But if you were to, if you were to adopt a filter that this is a young person who's creative and has a lot to offer me, then that, that cell phone or, or asking to leave early that one day, it wouldn't trigger that kind of I know all about this person mindset. And you would be able to deal with each situation as it comes. You, you may still not want her to be on her phone during work hours, and you can, you know, talk to her about that. Uh, but it wouldn't be from this place of, oh, you're just one of those. Yeah, exactly. Know? You're just so lazy. So one of the differences might be how they work, their, maybe their passion for their work, what they expect to get out of work. But you also talk about the fact that technology, I mean, it's such a norm for millennials. It's, I mean, it should, that should become an advantage to you. And it is a huge advantage. And if we can get past this idea that it's either a waste of time or it's playing, uh, not that there's anything wrong with playing, right. but, you know, if we can get past that and really tap into the efficiencies that are second nature to millennials when it comes to technology and really help them coach us. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, how to utilize those tools. It's... Um, they've never with us technology was always it wasn't our life it was always kind of an addendum um, an attachment a part of our life but in their life their technology is their life so when they're even when i look at my kids i think of them like are you still on your phone but yeah no they're in their life this is their world yeah yeah and they're on their phone and watching tv and <laughs> right. talking to a friend and doing their homework so oh. yeah we we <laughs> have a <laughs> we have a we have a new producer on the show um that's actually our uh she's our social media person Sadie Nielsen and she has come in and done more on social media in the month she's been here than i think we were able to do i mean in creative innovative ideas that um that we never had thought of and she's just yeah. like what are you why don't you guys think but it's <laughs> it really is a pretty basic uh basic idea talk about how they communicate differently and um and how we as managers and leaders could help manage the communication better well the first thing as i said is to shift that perspective so that we're we're really coming to each situation with a clean slate the second thing is to ask more questions. When I'm coaching people who are Gen Xers, maybe a, a little bit on the older side of the Gen X um, or baby boomers, 
there's still an old idea about, you know, the employee listens and the boss talks. Right. And uh, it's just, not only is it not the way it is anymore, should it be that way anymore? I mean, really, can we, can we look at the, the upside of asking questions of our employees and finding out and learning from them? And, and through that conversation, we are also teaching them and mentoring them and coaching them. Uh, it, it isn't about not getting what you want. If you're a leader or a manager, you have a responsibility and your employees need to uh, support the vision of the company. But there's a way to do that without this kind of top-down authoritarian style. And the sooner people shift to the new mindset and start asking questions, start listening, start acknowledging their employees for what they're doing right, yeah, you know they're go- they're going to get behind and and uh, and not keep up with what's happening in the business world today. You know that's the funny thing. That's the exact same thing Ben was telling me. Ben, my uh, engineer on my show, he keeps telling me if I would just be nicer. <laughs> but I just tell him to be quiet and work, millennial. Work. <laughs> no, that sounds rude. Um, hey, let's do this. Let's take a break because I want to come back and, and have you talk about the environment and what kind of an environment we could set up as a manager, uh, what might be a better workplace for them, and and really what we might expect or not expect from them when it comes to school and some of those other uh, other challenges that some of them have facing, and, and even student loan and debt, all these different issues. We're speaking about millennials, folks. Jamie Tenzer joins us, and uh, she's talking to us um, about the power and the importance of managing and, and how to better lead a millennial in, our, in, in their workplace and in our lives. Stick with us, helping you connect uh, closer to those that you care about. We'll be right back. This is The Matt Townsend Show. Welcome back, friends, to The Matt Townsend Show. Uh, Today we're talking with Jamie Tenzer. Uh, Jamie is an executive coach, a trainer, a mentor, and uh, she has served as supervisor, mentor, and trainer for the International Coach Academy from 2006 to 2015 and is with us this morning to help us learn more about creating a healthy and successful work environment for employees of all ages. Jamie, thank you so much for being with us. It is my pleasure. Thank you. What else can we do to create the right environment, the right uh, you know workspace? Do when we think of millennials, are millennials um, do they work well in like an open work environment? Uh, do they do would office closed wall doors help? What's the kind of setting that makes an ideal setting? I would say collaboration is key. Uh, so an open office space is important and lots of opportunity to collaborate as teams and in groups. I was thinking about this um, when you were on break. You know, millennials are living in shorter spans of time throughout each day. You know, with technology, uh, everything is kind of shorter. And we say, well, the attention pa- Span is shorter. That may be true, but 
but it's very chunked down. So I would say in terms of how we're dealing with uh, millennials, I would say that we should be offering more opportunities for engagement and shorter time frames. So if you are used to giving your employees feedback maybe every couple of weeks, how are they doing, uh, just a comment or two or an acknowledgement, step that up to every week. Hmm. Find something to to share with your millennial. You know what? That was great. I love that you had that idea and you brought it up in the meeting. Thanks for taking the ball and running with that. You know, just, just a sentence. Yeah. It doesn't have to be a big, long meeting. Uh, but shorten those time frames a little bit. Give them more opportunity to get together in groups and brainstorm and collaborate and co-create. And give them more opportunity to spend time with you. I know as a manager and a leader, we think, oh my gosh, I already don't have enough time. Now I have to spend time mm-hmm. with my millennial employees. But here's the thing. You will save so much time in the long run. Spend 10 minutes with your employee, ask questions, listen, answer their questions. Uh, the work productivity will go up, and you will find yourself saving time. Hmm. I mean, it's it's they're very relational, right? It seems like they're used to wanting to be engaged and appreciated at maybe a higher level than, than the rest of it. Yeah, and I think that we all are relational, yeah. and we all want to be affirmed and acknowledged. And uh, we have gotten used to, those of us who are a little bit older, have gotten used to not having that. Right. That's not how it is in the workplace. You don't get acknowledged. Uh, and, and I think they've got the right idea. I, th- I think all of us need that kind of feedback and relational support and acknowledgement and affirmation. And I think it helps all of us build loyalty work more productively, feel better about going to the office every day. It's a win-win. You know, it's it probably, once we kind of went through the Industrial Revolution, we all became a bunch of cogs, just a bunch of pieces and parts that, yeah, maybe we have fallen away and this is now a course correction to get back to, you know, a, an integrated relationship-based uh, work environment, and, and you use the word coach a lot um, as as kind of a coaching approach. You see that the manager could really become more of a, a coach figure. Talk about that. Yes. So I I think, and again, I'll say for for all generations, we really want coaches and not managers. Uh, managers, actually, I, I'm going to say that again. We want managers that use coaching skills as a part of their management style. So coaching skills, and we've already talked a little bit about this, uh, include being curious, interested, listen, ask good questions, acknowledge, and all of those are, are tools that managers can use along with all the other tools that they already have in their toolbox to really create the kind of loyalty and productivity that, you know, we all want in in our employees. So, yes, I believe in a coach approach. And part of what I do is is to teach managers those coaching school, skills so yeah. that they can add them to their toolbox. 
it's um i mean it is a different mentality it's kind of like you know i'm your manager you do the work and um you're saying it's more now we're a team i guess that's always supposedly been some of the 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 belief about it but it seems like this is a group that they can tell if you're not in and they they can tell if you don't if you don't know them and don't understand them and and are frustrated by them they're going to read between the lines yeah they're really they're actually really pushing us to to up our game one thing that we haven't talked about is executive presence and we've all been in the presence of leaders who don't need to prove how much they know or that they are at the top of of the company or that they have the power because they have such grounded presence that they they just being in the room um you know who they are yeah. you you know the power they have and when those when when we're in the presence of those leaders who don't have to constantly prove their own value but really feel so self-confident that they're able to give power away to those around them that's that's true leadership that's executive presence and you know part of what i work with managers on is how can you incorporate some of these tools for yourself so that you can create that grounded presence and really have the confidence to allow your younger employees to make a difference. No, that's so it's it's powerful too because they there's nothing more um building of conf, of one's confidence than letting having your leader defer to you to yes. to lead and to think and to manage it and to answer it. And that is the ultimate sign of true leadership and confidence is to be able to give that power power away. Yeah. It it's uh it's it's like you said it's very powerful. What? And it's, oh, go ahead. No, go ahead. No, you go ahead. I was going to say Jamie is uh, we we kind of are need to wrap it up in a minute or two but um, I, I guess part of this deal is it's it's our management responsibility. It's our leadership responsibility with the millennials. What would you say to the millennial that uh, to, to be able to get in and integrate better with multiple generations of workforce? Yeah, thank you. What a great question. And I do coach millennials. Um, and I would say that for millennials, what needs to happen is patience listening, understanding that you will get your opportunities more likely by asking good questions and listening and doing what is, what is asked of you in an appropriate time frame uh, and with respect. I think, I think sometimes some behaviors of the millennial generation can feel disrespectful to people of other generations, and I don't believe it's meant that way. So some of what I do with millennials is really break down, you know, where are you getting this pushback from the people who are managing you? And let's, let's unpack that and look at how does that, how could you have rephrased that? Hmm. How could you uh, change the way you're relating to the people who you are working for so that you have a, um, a better result 
yeah. back. Well, Jamie, I mean, it's yeah, it's it's a two way street, and and yet you could you can remember if any of us can just think back to when we were young and in the work starting out in the workforce. It would have been so great to have an active, involved leader, mentor, coach that would take us under their wing. And um, we probably just need to remember that as we're, as we're dealing with the millennials and, and really all of our coworkers. Yeah, and really give a gift to your employees that maybe you didn't get when you were, when you were in their position. But now you have the great opportunity to give that gift. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Jamie Tenzer, we appreciate it. And uh, thank you so much for your insights and time. Thank you so much, Matt. You bet. Jamie Tenzer at jamietenzer.com. J-A-M-E-E-T-E-N-Z-E-R.com. Go check out her website and some of her writings there as well and her services. Folks, it's about coaching, really. It's about... um, it's about being the leader that you, you would have loved to have had. So think about that. Are you, are you that kind of leader? Are you the one that, uh, that you dreamt of having when you were a young um, you know, newbie in the company? It's not as easy once you get to kind of management or senior management or the executive level. It's it's still about motivating, and if there's a group that needs motivation, it's it's this millennial. They need to have some passion and some connection to what they're doing. By the way, every human does, and what they might be doing is gently, in a way, or sometimes abruptly, leading us back to really the, the highest level of people we can be. So what frustrates us in them is that they actually have the audacity to want it, to want what we wanted. They have the audacity to, to want it in a certain way. They have the nerve to not need to get like deeply indebted like we did. So maybe some of our frustration with them comes from the fact that we didn't take this stand. And we might be, you know, Gen Xers in debt and overwhelmed and exhausted. And we look at these freewheelers just freeloading. No, they're, they're creating their life. They're just doing it their way. It's always going to happen generationally, right? You're, you're going to create an opposite arc, uh, I mean, parallel in some way, but some uh, results will be opposite of what your parents gave you. People that might be a little slower to marriage if they saw a lot of marriages ending in chaos. People might be slower to get a home loan if they see how miserable their parents were trying to pay off a home loan, Right? People might believe less in certain institutions if they see that those institutions took advantage. So we call that life. And you're getting a little dose of it right here on the Matt Townsend Show. We'll take a break. Got to come back. A whole new hour. Next hour, we'll be visiting our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation. Plus, we'll be playing a game, everything you need to know about uh, Hillary Clinton. Get excited for that. Stick with us, folks. This is the Matt Townsend Show, helping you see the good in the world. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Your guide on the side. Follow Dr. Matt on Twitter at Dr. Matt Show. Call the show at 1-855-CHAT-BYU. This is the Matt Townsend Show. Dr. Matt Townsend. Now on BYU Radio. BYU Radio. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. This is the show where we give you the information, the tools you need to live a healthier, happier life. 
and ma- you know, make it a great life. Uh, nobody was born with a an, or- an owner's manual, so you have to kind of learn as you go. And, s- and some aren't even doing that, to tell you the truth. Not to be rude. Hey, we got a great topic today. We'll be speaking about narcissism. You've heard of narcissism. In fact, uh, if you've ever known anybody that got divorced, usually what you hear in the conversation of an ex-spouse or someone's ex is, oh, he's just a narcissist. You'll hear that diagnosis thrown about um, everywhere. And so we wanted to talk with somebody that's that's really uh, understands it, uh, the author of the book, Rethinking Narcissism that was released in paperback back on July 5th. And he, Dr. Craig Malkin, is going to join us and walk through what's the difference between just a selfish person and a clinical diagnosis of narcissism. Um, pretty interesting insights, uh, I think, for all of us. And maybe we can go do some self-diagnosing as we're, as we're listening today. We will get to that. Also, we're going to be visiting our good buddies from BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. And, of course, we're going to be doing just some interesting stories. One story, a, a guy tried to sneak um, a, a weird animal into a courtroom by, by wrapping it in foil. I mean, that's, that's how you do it because that will get him through the x-ray machine. They, they won't notice the foil. Hey, what uh, – no, no, it's, it's not an – it's just – it's my scout dinner. I think the foil is yeah. to prevent possible mind reading. Everyone knows foil stops the government sensors and the government signals. Alert nerd. That's how it works. Excellent. They're going to listen to you. They're going to try to do a, a mind probe or something that you block the signals. Oh. That's the thing I forgot to ask our CIA guy who's done all the presidential intelligence briefings. Yeah. I wanted to ask him about aliens. Okay. Did he ever find any information about extraterrestrials in mm. any of the presidential briefings? Well, he probably couldn't talk about it because it's still current. It's still an issue. Um, you is can it? talk about the Manhattan Project because that's, mm. that's in the past. But Well, so is like Roswell. That was back in the 40s. Yeah. Well, I think Roswell, we already know, is factual. Okay. Yeah. I've been to the museum. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I, they have a museum. You have a point. I mean, it's you legitimate. It's not. Yeah. It's got a museum. Hello. So we'll get to uh, that story. Um, also, of course, our hero of the day. We always like to end the show with a hero story so you can see the good in the world as well. But first, let's get to the headlines around the country with Sadie Nielsen. Sadie, what's up? Well, President Obama denounced Donald Trump while calling on Americans to vote for Hillary Clinton on Wednesday night. There has never been a man or a woman, not me, not Bill, nobody, more qualified than Hillary Clinton to serve as President of the United States, Obama told the Democratic National Convention audience. Obama publicized Donald Trump as a unique threat to the American democracy, telling the audience don't boo, vote, when the Republican nominee was mentioned. Senator Tim Kaine, Hillary Clinton's vice presidential pick, lashed out at Donald Trump during a Wednesday night speech at the Democratic National Convention. Kaine called on Trump to release his tax returns, riffing on Trump's oft-repeated plea of, believe me, Kaine encouraged Republicans and independents to support Hillary Clinton. Northern California was abuzz Wednesday night when reports of a mysterious light streaking across the sky. Uh, happened. About 9.30 p.m., Twitter was lighting up with reports coming in as far away as Utah and Las Vegas about seeing a meteor or strange light in the sky. Uh, Several experts have different opinions on what it is, um, but two experts said uh, one could possibly be a, a 
rocket traveling 18,000 miles per hour, or it could be a natural, uh, what did he say? A natural event happening. But we will see about that more on news on Thursday. And finally, uh, a 23-year-old man was being held on a felony assault charges after he threatened a bouncer with a homemade spear and then slung a battering, which is a Batman boomerang, into the car of a police who were chasing him. The suspect, who seems to be really into superheroes, first swung his makeshift spear and knife attached to the metal pole at a bouncer Monday night at a bar in Capitol Hill. Police responded and started chasing the man who produced a sharp black Batman style throwing star and flung it at the cop car. His aim was true. The battering flew into the SUV's lower front end. Whoa. Danger zone. Very dangerous. Wow, Sadie. Thanks. Uh, Thanks for the warning. We will watch out for that. Uh, By the way... um, Again, I I couldn't stop. I I just was just stuck to the screen yesterday after the show, watching medieval knights fight. Yes, I showed it to Don, mm-hmm. and Don and I have decided that we are going to put together a team, a medieval combat team. Yes, I already have an axe. Can I? Well, actually, yeah. Don and I aren't going to be participating. We're just going to put the team together. We want to watch and sit up in the king booth. Okay. Um, but we for sure want Ben in there. And I think it would be with you, fun with you, Terry, because you, you've got some good work with a, a lightsaber. Yeah, I, I, I do the, the pool noodle a, yeah. lightsaber. You probably ought not use a pool noodle because these guys are using yeah. real gear. Yeah, they yeah. The video is very interesting because they have crafted suits of armor, and they have actual metal forged weapons. I know. And they're clocking each other with them. Pounding on each other. And then it, it almost seems like the sword play is irrelevant. No, it's it is. more just tackling the guy to the ground, and then he's out. Yeah. So why don't they just run around and tackle everybody? Why are they worrying about the sword play? Well, because you, the fun part about tackling somebody is first you've got to ring their bell. Really? It once, just, once they start kind of spinning on one on their toes on one foot, it seems that then you tip them over. The first team to realize that the real goal is to get the other team to fall down. You're going to win. Some of those guys look just like they around. can't even carry their armor. Oh, that too. It's, so maybe it's hard to tip them over, and it's hard to tip others over. And then it was odd. There's one guy that's dressed as a black knight. Yeah. Right. Well, see, you're gonna like play every, it out. Every, I, I like, want to be the Black Knight. Poland is wearing red. Yeah. The U.S. guy, the United States uh, team, they're wearing like red, white, and blue right. version of whatever you would assume a medieval mm-hmm. costume would be. And then there's one guy that shows up wearing a black. It's like he didn't get the memo that this is what no. the, what our no, uniform he's is today. Probably the captain. Okay. He's the Black Knight. But both teams didn't have a Black Knight. Only one side had a Black Knight. Like Poland. Yeah. Poland had the. I don't understand. He's in complete black armor. I don't understand. I'm surprised what's, not everybody was a black knight. Why like, wouldn't you want to be the? I mean, that seems to be yeah, the guy that's like the most feared guy like in the field. Lord Vader. There's only one Vader. Okay. Yeah, but everybody wants to be Lord Vader. So how do you decide who Lord Vader is? Well, he's the guy that takes the most hits to the helmet, or he's the dentist that has the most money. <laughs> he's the dentist because so he bought the best know, gear. There's dentists and accountants yeah. that are running around out there. They yeah. spend their weekends forging armor. And then they show up to the world championships of medieval combat. <laughs> it makes you wonder if Under Armour is supporting. Oh, you know this they yet. are. 
Because Under Armour with medieval armor, yeah. that's bad to the bone. It just ties in itself. Yeah, that's Do you think bad. they have like special footwear needs? Oh, for sure. But the funny thing about their shoes, mm. they wear these like dainty little leather moccasins, Ooh. which I think is crazy because they are swinging swords, like full-on are, are steel they t- Are they swords. time period specific? Yeah. Wow. They're like more like knave boots. Knave. <laughs> I don't know. I think I'd cover my toes more. Do they have squires? Yeah. You have to have a squire to help you get into the suit, right? They don't like to talk about the squires. There's been some scandal. Okay. Squire scandal. Those are the worst type. Anyway, we'll keep posting updates on the idea of our medieval team. I I just think it'd be a cool idea. Yeah. Maybe broadcasting could go against – or TV could go against radio. I just would have to find enough millennial knaves. Knaves. That want to be part of this. I volunteer as tribute. Okay. It's perfect. It's tribute. It's <laughs> perfect. Okay. There's one down. And we solved the management problem. Yeah? Because he's not going to make it out of the ring. There you go. Hey, um, crazy story. We've, we've really, we've already brought up. Um, if you're going to court mm. and you, you need a comfort animal, something that just helps you feel safe. Helps to manage anxiety. Yeah. yeah. What, what animal would you take? Maybe a cat? A kitty, yeah. Something soft. Soft. A ferret. I don't know where you get a ferret. Dogs. Dogs are a common. Dogs are great. Service animal. Security at Boulder County, Colorado Justice Center uh, is designed to catch weapons and contraband. And on Friday, it detected something a little scalier. Scalier. That's a weird word. Yeah. Boulder deputies caught someone trying to smuggle an iguana into the Justice Center. Hmm. According to a tweet from the sheriff's office, the tweet shows an X-ray image of an iguana, or at least its skeletal outline, inside of a bag, following, followed by the warning. At the Justice Center, only service animals are allowed. No iguanas. Even if it goes through the X-ray machine. He, the guy threw his iguana through the X-ray machine. That's got to not be healthy. But what if it's a service animal? Well, Does he need to produce like a license or paperwork somehow to prove that that's a service animal? We had the turkey that was on an airplane yeah. that allegedly was a service animal. Was it animal. a turkey or a hen? It was a turkey. Yeah. Uh, apparently, he was there with some friends, so he waited outside with his iguana. Hmm. He just, you know, you know how you're just like, have you ever just been carrying something and then you forgot? Like I had a pocket knife that I would take yeah. on trips with me uh, to open the boxes when I got to the speech. And I forgot I had it on me, and then all of a sudden they're confiscating my knife. Well, have you ever done that with like a ferret no. or an iguana? No. Nothing living. Have you ever just been carrying your iguana? You're like, oh, what? did I just sit on my iguana? Oh, dang it. You do it with your phone. So he got caught. So we thought, it, okay, that's funny. Mm. Um, but maybe there's some other animals. Mm. The, where does this end? If you want to sneak in with your iguana, maybe is the rule it's just got to get through the, ray, the X-ray machine? I don't know. Or could you have any size animal? So here's just a few of a few other animals that we thought might be fun to take to the justice center. A dog. A dog. Like yeah. Who wouldn't want their dog? You even said you'd want a dog. Yeah, it's a service animal. That's a common animal. Okay. What, what do you think? Do you think this one would be too disruptive? Like a monkey? Yeah, an ape. Oh boy, orangutan of some kind. Yeah, okay. Yeah. That, that would probably work. It depends on how, the court. how well behaved the animal is. If it just sits there, it's fine. Okay. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that might be that might be too loud. Maybe you might need be. one that doesn't make as much noise. Yeah. 
Mm, a service donkey? Yeah, a service donkey. But that's just, I think once you get the donkey in, it'll be quiet. It's just yeah. getting them in. Yeah. Apparently they were a little stubborn. Shocking it or something. Yeah. yeah. Here's another one. I think a cow is never a good choice. Why? Eh. What if you could milk it? Well, you have like mid-court refreshment. Yeah. Anybody want some warm milk? Yeah. Hmm. Anybody got a cookie? And then there's one animal we we all kind of decided you ought not bring. Yes. It's a yes. tiger. Anything that be classified as a man-eater needs to be uh, kept out of the service animal realm. Unless you want to influence the judge. Or intimidate. Judge, um, this is my seeing eye tiger. <laughs> Did you see about that lady that was taken away by a tiger? This story? Did you see the story? I think I heard about it, yeah. Somewhere over in like Malaysia or somewhere? Oh, that's right. There was video of it. Unbelievable. She was out of her car in a, in a safari area, a reser- yeah. animal reservation of some kind, and then... She nowhere. was snatched. Yeah. A tiger grabs her and it, carries don't, don't, her away. Don't get out of your car in the middle of a lion preserve. It's probably a good idea. You know what? Let's, we probably ought to meme that. Yeah. It's but a good tip. You just, that, again, I wouldn't get out of my car in a lot of places. But what I found when it comes to service animals, if it comes up at a party, which sometimes it does, and it has for me, I don't know how, but really? it did. Hold on. The idea of service animals? Yeah. And I said, what about a turkey? And they didn't believe me that. Someone actually had a turkey as a yeah. service animal on an airplane. Yeah, yeah. So you put turkey service animal airplane into Google, the story comes up, and you see the photos, and there's this turkey at the airport. And then there's a turkey gobble, 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 gobble. sitting in the chair, and then the turkey posing with the flight attendants. And did, uh, it, yeah. did it have one of those service animal vests on? No, no, because no. it's a turkey. It's, it's hard not. to make a vest for a turkey. Yeah. Just because yeah. their wings are so tiny. And they're little, they're little skittish. They feel like they're being prepared for dinner or something. So. <laughs> there we go. Always trying to base <laughs> Always me. on edge. Um, I, had a, I had a client once bring me her service dog that she had just received. And it was, it was a very – it was an incredibly moving moment hmm. because I was – there's this affinity. There's this relationship between the two where this dog is literally her eyes and her protection. So like, I'm like – can I touch the dog? There's a lot of rules around service dogs. And it even gets worse when they're a service tiger. Yes. Good kitty. <laughs> Can I touch your kitty? Well, I wouldn't if you want to keep your fingers. Hey, um, we will take a break. And when we come back, we're going to be talking narcissism, rethinking narcissism with Dr. Craig Malkin. He'll be joining us and uh, walking us through this interesting uh, issue. Is it a disorder? What is it? Or is it just selfish people? Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. You know, you can't say that when you walk down the street and pass by a window, you're not going to take a glance in it, right? Just look at your hotness. Everyone does it. Maybe, you know, just out of curiosity to see how the world is viewing us. Maybe to make sure you're you're all dressed and covered up. But you don't know. Uh, some, sometimes we, we question if some people have too much of a love of their own reflection. Um, you've heard about narcissism. And, uh, you know, it's probably it seems like it's becoming more and more popular 
as we um, as we just go about life. I, I hear it a lot more brought up in everyday conversations. So we wanted to talk about it and find out really what is narcissism and 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 what what are we supposed to think about it? Are there things we can do? And is it a real clinical diagnosis? And joining us to talk about that is Harvard Medical School psychologist and Huffington Post blogger, uh, Dr. Craig Malkin. And he is helping us uh, sort through um, this concept of narcissism. Welcome to the show, Dr. Malkin. Thanks so much for having me back, Matt. Good to have you back. And it's uh, narcissism really is. It's, it's something I hear about all the time. But then I also I notice that um, some of the the diagnostic um, manuals are actually suggesting we that we I guess we we shouldn't be diagnosing people as much with it. Is that is that what I'm hearing? Oh, that's absolutely right. I mean, first we have to start you know, with a couple of things. One is that narcissism itself is not a diagnosis. We only have one diagnosis for pathological narcissism in the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual. That's um, narcissistic personality disorder. Mm. Maybe we can get into yeah. that. But narcissism itself is considered uh, a trait that runs more or less to one degree or another in, in all of us. And then the question is, when does it become dangerous right is it because i guess there's a there's a certain amount of ego and and kind of self-centeredness to all of us what would make the difference between being narcissistic and just being a traditionally selfish person i want to answer that question by first because i think it's really important that i that i uh, get this message out I'm guessing that when we say the word narcissism or narcissist, almost everybody out there has an image. And that image is of a vain, preening, primping, boastful, braggart, yeah. a reality TV type. <laughs> uh, Running uh, for Donald president. Donald Trump's yeah. name has been thrown right. around a lot. Right. Uh, the, the problem with that image is that it's really a stereotype. It's a caricature. Not all narcissists care about looks or fame or money, and some can be extremely quiet. So that if we... Why, if we get too focused on that image, it's really a distraction. And it, it blinds us to signs of danger that really have nothing to do with vanity or greed. I spend the first three quarters of rethinking narcissism helping people understand what, what, what is bad about narcissism in, in a different way. So, hey, what do you mean by that? Because that, that's this is that's fascinating. Because then there are so there's bad things about narcissism, but are there also supposedly or helpful things there are and, and as soon as you start looking at the at the research and just really how how people function you you start to see that whole range really clearly and it's very important to understand if you want to understand when when narcissism becomes dangerous so we typically think of a spectrum of narcissism most experts on narcissism talk about a spectrum researchers clinicians but it's degrees of awful <laughs> it starts you know yeah. mildly obnoxious and then you go all the way up to narcissistic personality disorder which maybe we can talk about the, the, the problem is and this is speaking to your point that we know from over a quarter century of research that the vast majority of people around the world feel a little bit special <laughs> when they're happy and right. healthy. They feel exceptional or unique, uh, that they stand out in some way from the other 7 billion people on the planet. And when we have that, call, I call them sort of rose-colored glasses for ourselves, for the world, and for others. Uh, when we have that, 
we feel happier, more resilient, more able to persist in the face of failure. In our research, we found people who have those rose-colored glasses, uh, which are also called self-enhancement in the research, uh, view, are, are also better at a, a giving, receiving, and relationships. That is healthy narcissism, those, those rose-colored glasses. So instead of thinking of narcissism as this obnoxious personality trait that's really marked by uh, a loud blowhard or exemplified by that. Uh, you want to think of narcissism as a drive to feel special, which is pervasive. These are cross-cultural studies okay, that, yeah. that show this. Um, and then you can think of narcissists as people who become dependent on or addicted to feeling special. They use it to soothe themselves, much the way somebody who's addicted to a drug might soothe themselves uh, with alcohol um, or, or some other drug. Instead of turning to people for care and comfort and support, narcissists depend on feeling special. And this is the point I want to make about the different variations. Uh, they can do that in any number of ways. This is why it got so confusing. Uh, um, and I wanted to clear this up for people in rethinking narcissism. That uh, There are people who are, who are extremely narcissistic who agree with statements like, um, I have problems that nobody else seems to understand. Hmm. I feel I'm temperamentally different from most people. You can see this has nothing yeah. to do with self-esteem or feeling good about yourself. But what it does have to do is some sense of uniqueness. So I call the people who answer questions like this and, the, and agree with them introverted narcissists. Uh, they, they may feel special uh, because they view themselves as the most misunderstood person in the room or an undiscovered genius. Um, you know, so that's one kind of narcissism. There's a new kind of narcissism and narcissism, and this can all go all the way up to psychology, um, called communal narcissism. And these are people who agree, honestly, who agree with statements like, I'm the most helpful person I know. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I'm so, the greatest negotiator in the world. Exactly. So, yeah. you know, you can see there's all kinds of ways to feel special, but, and as soon as you identify it, the core of it, as this as this drive that goes out of control, everything starts to make more sense. Interesting. So we can we can take some of these from the healthier side, I guess, of the spectrum to some of these uh, like more narcissistic tendencies, like you were just describing, all the way up to uh, to truly being diagnosed yeah. with the with the narcissistic personality disorder. What would that side of the spectrum look like? So narcissistic personality disorder, and this is where I, I can make it very simple. I wanted to make it very simple for people. The, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual version 5, uh, anybody who's read it and clinicians will agree with me if they're, if they're listening out there, it's just a mess. I mean, I can't, I can't get through it. <laughs> right. It's, it's, but essentially, when you're looking at all disordered versions of communal narcissism or introverted narcissism, extroverted narcissism is that classic image that we started with. Yeah. Um, where things become a problem is when people bec be become so addicted to this need to stand out from the other 7 billion people on the planet, you know, they, um, that just like with any other addiction, they would lie, steal, cheat in order to get their high. Uh, and then you have what's, what I call triple E, uh, which is uh, a pattern of exploitation. That is doing whatever it takes in order to get your needs met, no matter what the cost. Even if the need is to feel like you're, you're you have problems that no other people uh, people understand, maybe mm. that's your need. 
Yeah. Um, entitlement, acting as the world, as if the world and other people owe you, have to bow down to your will, either directly or indirectly in some way. And then empathy impairment. Uh, it's easy to see how if somebody is operating in the world in this way, just in the same way somebody who's really addicted to, uh, to addicted to a drug, they wind up losing sight of other people's needs and feelings. And the same is true of people who are extremely narcissistic. That triple E is really the core of pathological narcissism. Mm. This is what you see when somebody is diagnosed with narcissistic personality disorder and everything else sort of flows from that. Yeah. Wow. And I mean, intense and and being married with that or trying to remain married. What a difficult process. Um, We're speaking with Dr. Craig Malkin. He is the author of the book Rethinking Narcissism and uh, Secrets to Recognizing and Coping with Narcissists. We'll take a break, come back, and we're going to ask Dr. Malkin to help us understand what we can do. Um, as we're as we're interacting, as we're as we're dealing with, I guess all levels and all types of kind of the this more moderate narcissist versus those that have actually got the narcissistic personality disorder. Interesting stuff, folks. You got to have someone in your life somewhere that's battling with this. It's it's around us. Stick with us. We'll be right back. Welcome back, everybody. You probably think this song is about you. Narcissists, they're everywhere. Hey, we wanted to sort through this um, topic of narcissism. You may have had a friend say, oh, yeah, she's so narcissistic or whatever. It's uh, it's a complicated issue. And so Dr. Craig Malkin wanted to sort help us sort through it. And he wrote the book Rethinking Narcissism, The Secret to Recognizing and Coping with Narcissists. Today he's already taught us that there's a difference between having the narcissistic personality disorder uh, and also just other narcissistic traits. You could have certain traits or types, but in the end, you know it's a problem if, if it leads to exploitation, entitlement, empathy impairment. We're learning a lot with you, Doctor. Dr. Craig Malkin, welcome back to the show. Uh, thank you for having me back. Talk to us about what we're supposed to do. What do I do if I'm seeing some of these traits, even if it's just kind of, you know, middle of the spectrum narcissism, not quite the disorder, but it's impacting me? Yeah, the answer depends on where somebody seems to be in the spectrum. Uh, And hopefully we have time to talk about uh, echoism, which is the other end of the spectrum. Maybe we can flag that. But um, I also wanted to touch on uh, what, what what is it that you said at the as as we were leaving oh and and as you welcome me back uh yes narcissists may or may not be disordered narcissist means somebody who scores higher on uh, a measure of narcissism than the average person the reason that's important uh this is to your point is that the vast majority of politicians and presidents huh. according to research score high enough to be narcissists what we now know is that there are healthy and unhealthy aspects to narcissism, and they don't rise and fall in perfect step with one another. Interesting. So as soon as you're dealing with somebody who is high, high enough in the drive to feel special to be called a narcissist, you want to be looking out for the triple E. Yeah. Uh, there are going to be some 
hopefully some beloved leaders of state, for example, uh, or, or CEOs. I mean, we hear stories about these CEOs um, who love their employees and their employees love them and they don't hurt people. These are often big personalities. That's probably the healthy side. And this is probably somebody who has a really high drive. You got to feel pretty special, for example, to feel like you can run an entire nation. Oh, yeah. Can you imagine? <laughs> right. I mean, I guess that's what it's what got you there, too, is the belief in yourself that you could. Absolutely. Absolutely. Sort of dreaming beyond uh, the ordinary and what's expected. One of the, in our measure of healthy narcissism, and now there's something like four, if you include ours, there are others out there. Um, ours you can think of really as um, those rose-colored glasses. That's what we were really, yeah. really looking at. These are people who answer questions. If, if they are high in it, they, answer, they agree with statements like, um, I, I like to dream big, but not at the expense of my relationships. And, and what's interesting is the more narcissistic people were, if people scored high on our extreme measure, they didn't like that statement at all. Hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, so That's telling. You asked what to do. Yeah. Um, there are many people out there because, of course, as soon as you start seeing triple E, there's also the danger of abuse. Uh, not all uh, narcissists and even not all people with narcissistic personality disorder will be overtly, directly abusive, like name-calling or being physically abusive. But we have to be aware of that. So as soon as you ask, what do you do in relationship, um, I get a lot of people who come to me and they say, I'm afraid my boyfriend or girlfriend is narcissistic. Uh, they're being abusive in these ways. And I redirect them. Because the question is not what the person's diagnosis is or what their traits are. Mm -hmm. uh, the question is, how do you how do you maintain your safety? Uh, there are a lot of things that cause abuse. So it's, when we first ask, what do you do in a relationship, you have to look out for what I call the three stop signs. Um, and the first is ongoing abuse, emotional abuse, or physical abuse. Uh, if a person is behaving in these ways and they're not willing to change and they're not willing to own it, you can't stay safe in the relationship, and there's really nothing that you can do to change that. Abuse is 100% the responsibility of the abuser, only they can change it. Right. So that's the first stop sign where you want to think about if you're having trouble leaving the relationship, maybe there's financial barriers, maybe there's emotional barriers, how do you get help leaving? A second stop sign is denial. Oh, yeah. If the person can't acknowledge their problems in any way, whether it's extreme narcissism or alcoholism or gambling, it's not going to get better, and there is nothing that you can do about that. Um, and I would add that in the research on, on pathological narcissism, on extreme narcissism, people who are in denial, uh, that was one of the strongest predictors of, of unhealthy narcissism. It really... Oh, yeah, uh, you could yeah, see that. Make, which makes sense. Um, and then the third is psychopathy. Think of psychopathy, extreme psychopathy, as a pattern of remorseless lies and manipulations. This is somebody who lies to you about affairs and money and repeatedly, really without flinching, and they keep doing it. 
uh, it's likely once you're seeing that that you've departed simply from someone who's struggling with pathological narcissism, and now you've got an overlap with some, with psychopathy. The combination of psychopathy and extreme narcissism can be really dangerous. Uh, it's it's often called malignant narcissism. Mm. If you see any or all of these three stop signs, that's really when you want to start thinking, okay, how can I help get help leaving this relationship? And that, yeah, because everyone always says, yeah, you can't fix a narcissist, but it sounds like at that level, you can't. You, you just got to protect no, yourself. They have to fix them themselves. And I, I work with many people who get to that point where who call me up and say, I'm afraid I'm... I, I, I've ruined all my relationships. I've ruined my job. Help me! And you know, obviously, they're not in denial anymore. Uh, it's with any problem. Really, the person who has the problem has to make a commitment to change. Yeah. There's nothing we can do to influence that. Uh, Dr. Malkin, we have about two minutes, but I wanted you to touch on echoism. Absolutely. So, uh, one of the things that we shows up again and again in the research is that people who don't have. I, I talked about in rethinking narcissism. So that people who have rose-colored glasses, they see themselves as exceptional or unique slightly, uh, that they, they have all kinds of benefits from that. People who lack that, I've dubbed that problem echoism. Huh. Um, people who struggle with echoism, like the nymph Echo from the myth of Narcissus and Echo, often struggle to have a voice of their own. She was cursed to repeat back the last few words she heard. And just as Narcissus fell in love with his reflection, Echo fell in love with Narcissus. People who struggle with echoism often fall into extremely narcissistic relationships. Right. You need the narcissist and the echoist to cohabitate. Exactly. And so one of the things I wanted to do is give people who struggle with echoism uh, a voice. Yeah. Uh, In a way I came to understand, I mean, I I consider myself a recovered echoist Hmm. uh, because I was raised by an extremely narcissistic mother. Yeah. So I wanted to help people understand and have a name for that and understand why they keep repeating these patterns and break them. Wow. And how how fitting on a national level uh, where we have the candidates and one of the candidates said, I want to be your voice. And there are people that echo the voice. And I mean, it's... It's profound. I, the echoist, did you, you termed that phrase? That's a brilliant thought. Yes. That's I, great. I, I, it just dawned, dawned on me one day that there's this picture of Narcissus and Echo, and Echo sort of gazing longingly at Narcissus yeah. as he looks at it. And no one ever talks about Echo. Oh, exactly. No, I love that. <laughs> Dr. Craig Malkin, thank you again so much um, and your, your great work on rethinking narcissism. We learned a lot. Oh, I'm so glad. Thanks for having me back again. You bet. You bet. And we'll have him back. He's uh, To have an expert that deep on a subject that's so important, um, it takes an echoist many times to to create a narcissist and vice versa. Uh, They go hand in hand sometimes. I guess we got to make sure we're not just not a narcissist, but not an echoist. We'll take a break, our friends, my friends, and we'll come back and visit uh, BYU Sports Nation, find out what's coming up on their show at the top of the hour. Stick with us. You ain't nothing but a hound dog to cry You ain't nothing but a hound dog Welcome back, friends, to the Matt Townsend Show. Let's go down to two of the biggest hound dogs that have ever existed. And uh, today it's Jeremy and Jason. Hello, gentlemen, you little hound dogs. All week, baby. My, my uncle... My uncle Kevin. Yeah. Oh, I know Kevin. I, Kevin. <laughs> uncle Kevin. Kevin is a girl. <laughs> when, when I was a little little kid, 
like toddler. Toddler. He used to call me a hound dog because of this song. Really? He really did. Did did it make you feel good? Uh, I, it was his way of showing love. So yes. Wow. Wow. I knew, I knew he loved me because he called me a hound dog. Uh, my my uncle used to call me a dirty dog. <laughs> I didn't know what that meant. Okay. Okay. He was kind of rude. Can Can you help me with that, guys? Do you need Do you need some some reassurance? Yeah, I just don't know what to say. Hey, um, uh, anything going on in the in the in the sports news? Where we we're struggling finding um, sports stuff to talk about. Now I know you guys are the experts in the field, so you, I'm sure you've got a ton. Oh, you can the, always talk Big Twelve. Oh, there's lots to talk about. Oh, is the Big Twelve still going on? It's day nine. <laughs> We're going to discuss this. Let's be honest. It's more than day nine. <laughs> Our Twitter, yeah, yeah, true. Oh, Our Twitter question today is a fun one. Are you more excited about a potential Big 12 invite or the upcoming football season mm. for BYU? Yeah, yeah. That's a, a way in coming up. That's a great question. You know, I, I had I had a caller call me the other day and say, it sounds like BYU uh, radio is turning into the Big 12 network because we talk about it so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah, maybe. Interesting, huh? Yeah, it's weird. I mean, yeah. Hey, here's a question I did want to ask you guys. Um, Have have either of you been to Costa Rica? No. No. I've not been to the rich. Well, yeah, the rich. The rich coast. Mm -hmm. In in October, I'm taking my family to Costa Rica for a week. Very exciting. But we just found out that American surfer survived a fierce crocodile attack uh, on the beach in Costa Rica. Really? So I'm, and so I didn't know what to worry more about. I thought you guys could help me with this. Should I worry more about Crocs or more about uh, mosquitoes? You should worry more about the Big 12. <laughs> or the Big 12. Let me write that down. <laughs> Let's add that to our quiz. We might do a Twitter quiz. Uh, which should I worry more, more about in Costa Rica? I would think that you would come into contact with many more mosquitoes than you would Crocs. I, you would think so, wouldn't you? Yeah. And, I mean, let's be honest. One is really bad. The other is, is super annoying. Which one is worse? That's a great point. I would hope that there's not a uh, Costa Rican listening to this going, oh, the one isolated incident. Yeah. Sure. One you guy gets I his leg chewed off. The U.S. You know hey, what I mean? speaking of, did you guys hear what happened to Warren Sapp yesterday, the former NFLer? He got bit by a shark. What? Speaking of getting bit by a crocodile, he got bit by a shark. Huh? Where? Warren Sapp, I think it was in Florida or somewhere. Are you serious? Yeah, serious. I don't mean he's, I think he's fine. I don't think it like Florida took seems off a great, limb, but. but there's a lot of like that those stories, right? Should but, we give it back to Spain? That's a question I think we should ask ourselves. Give it back to Spain? Yeah. No. Florida. No, no, no. No? Okay. No. Just, I'm I'm just asking the question. We need it. I mean, Disney we, World. We can still go there. We get some of our best stories out of Florida. True. Hanging chads. <laughs> well, and poor driving. Just some of the funniest criminals in the sharks. world live in Florida. Yeah. But you know, Warren, so Warren Sapp, I, I think what it is is once once you get a taste for Sapp. <laughs> Love me some good Sapp. <laughs> oh, wow. You got it. Hey, is that Sapp? Love going out in the woods. That there's some Warren that Sapp. In the tree and getting me some Sapp. <laughs> you know what? I think when Little it comes. House on the Prairie taught me everything I know. <laughs> Go hit the maple tree, Jimmy. When it comes down to um, if if I guess I I personally think I I care less about Zika and the mosquitoes because if I had a kid at my age, it's going to have bigger problems than Zika. Yeah, do you know what I mean? It's true. That kid would wish that a crocodile had got to me. I'm going to tell you though the the whole Zika thing. If if I were 
in the position where I had to make that decision and whether or not I was going to go yeah. to the Olympics, I, I, I just don't know if I would. I wouldn't go, yeah. That is too much of a, of a wild card. For no, me. exactly. Yeah, I mean, and all of these all of these athletes are staying away. And then you add Zika on top of just other bacterial infections. I mean, it's it's a I don't know that I'd be in the Olympics, even if they asked me to. That's Luckily, my... yeah, that's not an option for any of us. For well, us mortals. Yeah, for us just average folk. Anyway, but it's kind of neat to think about. It's like the Big 12. It's like the Big 12. Also, BYU in Alabama, question mark. We'll tell you about that coming up. What? You know what you haven't done for a while, Matt? What? You haven't, you haven't quizzed us on, hey, do you know what today is? Oh. Is, is today a something? Yeah, it's three somethings. Oh. Well, are you ready? What do we got? And you guys are going to have to pick one. Okay. If you had your choice, today is th- are three separate things. Chili Dog Day. Okay. You got to love a chili dog. <gasps> an angel just got a chili that's dog. That's the correct choice, and we haven't even no. heard the other No, that's two? just an angel got oh. its chili dog. Milk Chocolate Day. Oh. Or... Two correct. National Hamburger Day. What? In America. How can it be all three? Three days day in one. is milk chocolate and National Hamburger Day. Really? It's every day. I'm going hamburger. Every day. I'm going hamburger day. Yeah, you're going hamburger. Or as my, my three-year-old, Hamgaber. Hamgaber. Uh, <laughs> which which, which restaurant? Which restaurant would you want it from? Ooh. Can we drop? Can we names? We can on my show. Sure. I'm telling you. I'm all about the Red Robin. <laughs> Red Robin. Yum. Yum. Five guys. Five, five guys. Ah. The restaurant. Mm. <laughs> I'm hungry. I think I would take I would take hamburger day as well, but smothered in milk chocolate. Oh, okay. With a marshmallow with inside. a side of chili dog. Oh yeah. <laughs> and <laughs> wash a side it down. of crock. <laughs> and wash it down with some chili dog. And some sap. Yeah. <laughs> Covered dessert, in sap. The Zika virus. Hi, can I have some sap? <laughs> what kind of sap? Would you like, huh? like Warren sap? Uh, was that my, mild, Warren, medium? Or I'd like some spicy Warren sap, please. <laughs> that is so nasty. Okay, you guys got to go to your show. Are, are you all waxed? Are you ready to go? <laughs> Spencer's not here, so there's no waxing. Oh, that's right. Done anymore. Yeah, you, guys, you guys don't. Yeah, you've trained your body not to grow hair. That's great. Stop it. Right. Just stop it. <laughs> Get off my back. <laughs> That has no hair. <laughs> my hairless back. Oh, boys, this is a fun day. Slide off my hairless back, Matthew. <laughs> <laughs> like water off a hairless back of a duck. <laughs> what? <laughs> Guys, okay. I'll let... whack. <laughs> you know, we've got a lot of good promos in on this one. This was a good segment. Good. The, the, I good would, segment. Uh, Wayne's World. We would never sell out. This is brought to you by... Oh, I love delicious Domino's pizza. <laughs> we deliver. So okay. <laughs> okay, go have a fun show, guys. Knock them dead. Hey, keep, Thank you. Make keep us by, proud. Keep sliding off that hairless back. We will. Real. We will. <laughs> That's the sound my back makes. Um, good times. Oh, I got scared. I thought the door opened and Don was coming in. But he's not here. Anyway, uh, you got to love that show, guys. Top of the hour. It's only about five minutes away, and you can enjoy uh, Jason and Jerem for one hour straight. Nothing but heaven. And they break into songs so easily. Especially show tunes. We haven't done – we need to be doing more show tune stuff with them. Maybe it, they yeah. won't sing with Jason there, I don't think. Yeah, I think Spencer kind of – Well, Spencer will. Yeah. He'll break into anything. Did we talk about the bouncy house? 
Did we? I don't think we did. Let's say you're in a bouncy house. Uh, by the way, have they not learned that you got to anchor these bouncy houses? I think what they think is once they're full of air and you put like 50 kids in, it's not going anywhere. The problem is uh, – <laughs> Until everybody gets out except that one kid. Yeah. So as we were thinking about this story, Ben kept wanting to do a story with one kid that just can't get out of a bouncy house. I was I was brainstorming. I was – Yeah. Well, we Ben, were... I was that one kid. <laughs> yeah, I figured. It's not funny. A bouncy house uh, without any kids in it, a kidless bouncy house, an unanchored bouncy house, blew away in in the wind, in the high winds in New York. And the inflatable structure was carried away, no kids inside, flying up through the air with the greatest of ease and struck power lines. We have some audio. We'll just start playing the audio. And you can hear the blowers blowing this bouncy house up. And then a wind. Did you hear the wind? Picked it up. Look at it. It's flying. There's a lady on her bike. Ah, oh, jeez. Oh, boy. How did we get audio of that? Well, that guy was holding the microphone. Oh, okay. Up in the air. That's just tragic. Did you hear how it just kind of gave up at the end? Yeah. It's like, I'm dying. Kind of depressing. I hate it when we lose a bouncy house. Yeah. But they're dangerous. That's why I don't let my kids near them. And there's a ton of germs in that little house. At least there's no balls in there. That's disgusting. My kids are like, can I go in the little ball ball pool or whatever they call those? And we're like, no, 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 no. We're going to go to Rio and have you swim in the, in the river. <laughs> it's the same thing. Not to be negative on Rio because I love Rio. I'd go to Rio in a second. A uh, little story as we wrap this up. You know, we always like to talk heroes on the show. And out of KTRK in Little Rock, a simple act of kindness left one mom speechless inside an Olive Garden restaurant. Dallas French and her family were having a long, stressful day. Her four-month-old daughter, Ellie, was sick and tested positive for E. coli at an Arkansas children's hospital. French said that after their daughter's hospital visit, the family stopped at an Olive Garden. I was trying to make a bottle and spilled it all over me and on the floor, said French. I made another bottle and our waiter watched all all of this happen uh, and brought our salads and our breadsticks. However, the waiter did what he did next, left French and her entire family speechless. Listen to this. Here's the hero. He said, here, let me feed her and you eat, said French. French said the uh, the moment melted the hearts of her entire family and uh, was the pick-me-up the family needed. He didn't even know what we had went through that day, and he showed us love and understanding. He was not irritated that I had made such a mess and my baby was screaming. When French initially posted the photo online, she did not know the waiter's name but learned it later uh, that he was named Rob Davis. So Rob Davis is the hero of the day. He sat down with the baby, helped feed the baby while the stressed mom was able to eat. And the husband was able to just relax. And that photo is now all over the Internet. We're going to post it on our Twitter page, at Dr. Matt Show. Go check it out and see what a hero looks like in action. Remember, you all are heroes as well. It's, you don't have to you know, risk your life to save somebody or to be a hero. Sometimes you just need to give your time, your attention, your focus, 
And that's why we do the show. So you can always at least leave with a little bit of uh, positivity in your heart. Now, we're out of here. That's the show. We'll be back again tomorrow. Let's uh, let's meet up again tomorrow and start the show again. Be here, uh, 9 to noon Eastern time. And uh, until then, make it a great one. We'll talk tomorrow.